everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 370. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Fix and Span. And Fix, we got a really fun show this week, an 80s show, but before we get going to that, we got to talk about Patreon. And uh, we have a new Patreon show up, the patreon.com slash Between the Sheets, so uh, I'm going to throw it to you. So how are you doing? And go ahead and uh, talk about the new Patreon show. I'm doing okay, and yes, we've got a new Patreon show up. Uh, what did I officially call it? WCW 2000, or I think 2000 WCW Sales Dra- Sale Drama Part 1, I believe is what I called it. <laughs> yeah, there's drama involved. Absolutely. Yes, because we decided that, and I think people who were listening closely when we were doing one of the last 2000 shows could notice when we figured out we needed to do these shows, Um we realized that there was so much that we didn't cover when we did the 2001 Fusion stuff that we needed to just go back and cover everything uh, from 2000. So that came up with about 60 pages of notes, so we're splitting that up into two shows for August and September. And uh, it starts with uh, a Brad Siegel interview in Multi-Channel News that is surprisingly candid and... uh, Hints, in some ways, at the impending demise of WCW, and for whatever reason was not covered in any of the wrestling newsletters. Uh, The talks with SFX that may have been about selling the company or selling the rights to promote live events or something. The talks with Mandela Entertainment that may or may not have happened in the first place, but may have actually been with Fusion, or may have been negotiations with different Eric Bischoff backers or something. The front office staff kind of slowly freaking out over how little information they're getting and trying to figure out what their severance would be if they stuck with WCW and didn't get transferred. The initial WWF sale talks. Um, Mandalay putting out a press release to deny that they were ever in talks to buy the company. (laughs) And one thing, I guess, that becomes a big theme throughout the show is you and I realizing just how much better a chance of a WWF owned WCW would have had if they bought it in October 2000. Yep. And we, you, you definitely need to listen to that because that's something that I could stumble across as we do the notes and it just becomes a, a dominating point towards the back part of the show as we get more discussion into that about how different everything would have been in the wrestling world if WF was able to buy WCW in October 2000, and main reason being, I'm not going to go too deep into this, they had television. They had a strong TV deal to work with at that time, something they did not have in March 2001. So, yes. So we'll talk a lot, a lot more about that. And, uh, you know, all the stuff Bix has talked about already. And, um, yeah, it's quite the show. And it's part one of two, so we'll have part two coming up. At the end of this month, as we're now in September, and uh, patreon.com slash twin sheets, $5 a month gets you access to that and all the other audio that we have done in our near six full years of the Patreon. So uh, everybody jump on that. And, of course, we'll do uh, the longer plug in halftime. But right now, let's get to the show. Yeah, yes. And, well, speaking of WWF-imposed constriction of the industry, we have a returning guest this week. (laughs) Yes, we do, but this time he's on for uh, more than one segment, as he was on one segment on the previous time we've had him on, but we are definitely glad to have him back with us and talk about a totally different era of wrestling, as uh, he's a fan, he's a teenage fan at this point in time, so he's not involved in the business. 
as uh, he was when we did our last show. And he's definitely not involved in the business now, as uh, he is now, I guess, retired, so to speak, as a uh, announcer for uh, independent wrestling and hey, the greatest independent wrestling play-by-play announcer of our generation. As we are joined by our dear friend, you know him as Lenny Leonard, but we are here with Lenny Thomas. Lenny, thank you for joining us this week on the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, like pretty fast that I became a has-been and a guest on like... <laughs> more, I, I've done more interviews this week than I have the last 10 years. It, I, did a, I did one with The Torch yesterday, and I didn't think I ever talked to them once in the 20 years I was actually in wrestling. <laughs> Hey, you're not yesterday's news just yet. You're in the news. Oh. <laughs> you're in the news. But I, I mean, I look forward to Between the Sheets episode 1370 when you cover <laughs> the retirement of Lenny Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I already told Bix that, you know, I'm dreading, you know, the 10 years from now because we got that 10 year rule in effect. <laughs> and everybody's asking for all these weeks already for 10 years from now. I'm like, oh Jesus Christ! It's gonna be hard, mainly because you know, you know, on the shows that we do, everything is centered towards the newsletters mainly. And now, when we get in this era, it's all about podcast and um, Twitter, social media. I mean, that's where stuff gets broke and stuff gets out there. And pay, pay, you know, Fightful Patreon, Voice of Wrestling Patreon. It's a totally different world. As far as how stuff gets uh, released to the media these days, and uh, I think it's just crazy. You'll still be able to use the sheets, but they're all going to be a week behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, they're now the aggregators of uh, the, the other things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. But let's go to a time now where there was no internet. The only way you were finding out about wrestling news was in the, the magazines that were coming out three months after the fact. As we're going back to 1985, August 30th through September the 4th of 1985, and a very interesting week in wrestling history. We start off, though, with some sad news. And let's go to the clip. We have a clip to start off as uh, Gorn Soley starts off the uh, September 2nd, if I remember correctly, uh, championship wrestling from Florida with uh, this news. I regret to inform all of you at this time of the untimely passing of uh, Jay Youngblood, the sensational young Indian competitor who you've seen here many, many times on championship wrestling. Jay died as a result of injuries sustained uh, in a wrestling match. He's suffered some rather severe internal injuries that ultimately caused his death. The wrestling world is certainly going to miss Jay Youngblood, and our condolences go to his family. As you can tell, there's a a match going on as Gore's giving that speech. Uh, it is Not what the it is. best way to do that. No, but Dave um, chimes in now. Updating the most shocking news that we received just as we were going to press, which is the death of Jay Youngblood. Jay died from, from three massive heart attacks on September 2nd. Okay, so it was Saturday after. So On September 2nd, we on tour of Australia. Other reports on Jay, who is listed in Dave's record as, records as being 28, but was possibly two or three years older, said the heart attacks were the result of a reaction to a ruptured spleen injury, which took place during a match. As most readers are aware, Jay's weight had ballooned in the past 15 months or so. 
They've also received the report the rapid weight gain was a result of depression because Jay himself had found out he either had a tumor or a heart condition. He weighed about 235 or roughly 40 pounds over his weight when he and Ricky Steamboat teamed on a five foot nine frame. When he left for Australia, it was beginning to look like a shorter, dark haired version of Dusty Rhodes. His brother, Mark Romero, Youngblood, was on the same Australian wrestling tour. Well, they also have another 18-year-old brother who will be turning pro shortly. That's Chris. The reports that Jay weighed more than 300 pounds at his death were apparently exaggerations. Jay Youngblood, I mean, you watch him in 1985. Um, He's working in Florida for the early part of the year. And then he goes to Memphis. And Jay was actually 30 when he died. He had just turned 30 on June 21st. Um. He definitely was not the guy who was teaming with Ricky Steamboat two years earlier. Um, it, start, it started the year earlier in Crockett when he uh, left for a little bit and came back as the renegade doing this um, you know, painted face gimmick. And you could definitely tell that there was some, some problems going on with him. And you know he went to Florida in late 84, and it's just, it's just sad. Um, the rupture spleen is a thing that happened, and he did have the heart attacks from from that situation. So there's not – I don't think there's any type of uh, controversy over his death like a David Von Erich, you know, happened right. a year earlier. I mean he's someone who happened to have a drug problem, but it was not a drug death as far as anyone knows. Yeah, but this is like – you know, I, I remember David Von Eric dying, but I remember this one a little bit more because I was just a, a year older at the time. But Lenny, you're, you know, you're a teenager at this time, and, you know, David Von Eric was a big deal you know, the year earlier dying. Here's Jay Youngblood. I mean, it, it's, it's, it must be crazy to think as a, you know, a young wrestling fan about these guys dying so young. Yeah, he, I didn't get to see a lot of, of Jay and Ricky as a team during that era back in 83 because New York City didn't have cable in all five boroughs at that point. Um, there, there wasn't cable in, in Queens until 1987. So a lot of the stuff that I was seeing was through the magazines and then kind of like the beginnings of starting to tape trade and and things like that. So I didn't get to see a ton of it as I got older and was able to go back and watch. um, It all kind of made a lot more sense, especially now with, with YouTube, there's a really great playlist on, on YouTube uh, on a, on an account called pop culture stew. Oh yes. And it has like 28 short videos of basically the road to Greensboro of of young blood and steamboat for the tag titles uh, against Cronodal and slaughter. And it's like a great rabbit hole uh, to fall down. If you ever get some time and want to, and want to look at what was a really great angle that led to a super program that did just insane business back in that time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, young blood's death was definitely uh, a point of news in Crockett territory and other places too. I mean, it, 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 it made the news and, yeah, I mean, it's just he's so he's so far away. That's that's nothing too. It's like Von Eric, you know, dying in Japan, you know, dying in Australia. You kind of like, okay, I mean, what really happened? But yeah, you know, suppose like I said, this was you know the real story. There's and, a 
Yeah. There's also a really good article um, that I had. I remember when you when you sent the notes of what we were going to talk about, it kind of struck a, a bell with me thinking back. I know I had read an article a few years back from uh, Mike Mooneyham, who yes. writes a lot about wrestling. He's, he's with the Charlotte, uh, sorry, the Charleston Post and Courier, I think. You're he right. Back in 2016 about Jay's daughter. Um, I remember that. Yeah. And he did get really in depth as to what happened uh, and how he kind of gotten sick and then just went downhill like super fast and that he had like um, pancreatitis and then he had renal failure and sepsis and then pneumococcal septicemia and then finally had the multiple heart attacks after it. And he kind of just went down, uh, went downhill really fast, which I'm sure like you said, it's not a, a drug death, but I'm sure the years uh, of drug abuse kind of helped hasten the slide, uh, unfortunately, in this case. But if you ever get a chance, you can just if you just Google like Jay Youngblood's daughter, I think yeah. that article pops up and it's really, really well done. It's a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah, that's looking at it now. Yeah, that's, that's the same, no joke. That's what my dad died of. So yeah. I know how that is. It's no joke. But yeah, Jay Young, yeah, Jay Youngblood, I mean. The guy, start, you look at Stark 83, him and Steamboat, win, you know, beat the Briscoes, win the championships, seem like on top of the world. Steamboat retires, quote-unquote. Um, I mean, and Jay starts team, teaming one with his brother, but he becomes like a nomad after that in a lot of ways. You know, after Steamboat retires, it's like that, you know, hurt his career more than anything else, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, you watch some of the stuff like as Renegade, and even though – you can tell his issues are starting to get to him, but he can still work like Jay Youngblood in 84, at least earlier in 84. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, though, when you see, like, the stuff, like, in 85, when he's in Memphis, or... Every, what Didn't he have, like, a really brief Portland run in there, too? No. No, it was just Florida and Memphis, basically, in 85. Okay. Um, it's just, He's not the same person anymore. It, like, you can just tell. Like, because this is a guy who, look, we don't have a lot of footage, but... I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that he was every bit as good as Steamboat. Ooh, I don't know if I'd go that high. I mean, he was a hell of a talent, no doubt. But, I mean, Steamboat's on another level. They're so, yeah, different, I mean, he's, he's definitely he's a hell of a talent. up there, Ab- yeah. Ab- absolutely. He's better than what people would probably think he is. Absolutely. Yes. And I don't he's mean... Like, maybe a step below Steamboat. Sure, sure. You know? And I don't mean this as an insult to Mark or Chris, but I think people who have never seen his work might like think of him as being because Mark and Chris were very good. I think people might have this idea in their head of being like a Mark or Chris Youngblood teaming with Steamboat, but no, I mean he no. was much better than his brothers. Well, he well he had I mean he had he had great charisma, yeah, and, and he was a better worker. Than both Mark and Chris, and Mark and Chris were good, absolutely. Chris was more like Jay than he was like Mark, but uh, yeah, it was just a, uh, it's just sad, sad when somebody dies so young, thirty years old. Mm. Yeah, so, and uh, sad time. I did check newspapers.com. There is a Charlotte Observer obituary from the eighth. Um, Mr. Stephen Nick Romero, thirty of Amarillo, Texas, formerly of Charlotte. Died Monday in Australia of congestive heart failure. Funerals 10 a.m. Tuesday at Blackburn Shaw Funeral Home, Memorial Chapel in Amarillo. 
burial will be at Llano Cemetery in Amarillo. Mr. Romero, a native of Fontana, California, was a professional wrestler known as Jay Youngblood. Attended Amarillo High School, recognized an outstanding wrestler, 15-year veteran of pro wrestling, held the All-Asian Championship, you know, just goes into Steamboat and blah, 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 and been on tour in Australia, and then, you know, survived by his wife Susan of Wake Forest, his daughter Rico Romero of Wake Forest, parents Ricky and Stella Romero of Amarillo, brothers Ricky Romero Jr., Mark Romero, Christopher Romero, and uh, two sisters, uh, Yolanda Dodgen and uh, Melissa Miller. And then talking about memorials can be sent to the uh, American Heart Association. And then also uh, the Richmond Times-Dispatch also had a little note saying in response to a telephone inquiry that they were covering his death and mentioned that he had re recently purchased a house in Charlottesville, Virginia. So he's at least still doing well enough career-wise that he just bought a new house, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, before we move on, I mean, Lenny Gordon there, I mean, as an announcer, I don't know if you've actually ever covered a death before as an announcer, but how, how do you how do you handle something like that? What, what, what do you what do you think? That, how do you think you would handle uh, making an announcement like that? Yeah, I, it's a tough spot for sure to be in. Um, you know, I've had to handle injuries and things like that, but uh, never, never anybody, you know, announcing a death. Like we've, I, I've mentioned, you know, people who may have recently passed, uh, in commentary, but was never the one breaking the news kind of the way Gordon did. Cause it was a different era back then where, you know, news didn't travel instantaneously, uh, the way it does now, actually, usually I, I would be the one getting, <laughs> getting the news broken to me if I was on the air now. Uh, somebody be tweeting it to me or texting it to me before I could even get it out. But uh, it, it's it's a it's a tough spot. You know, you want to you want to do the right deference to, you know, the person and, and the people who may have loved and cared for him. And you need to get the, the word out. But clearly, as we heard in the clip with a match going on in the background, uh, it, it, it seemed almost like it was an afterthought, like, all right, it's something we should probably do this. Let's just do it now real quick and kind of get it out there. So, um you know, you just you'd hope to just give it the right, you know, gravity of the moment and, and the right tone um, and just, you know, get the news out there as quickly and as, as painlessly as you can. But it's a, it's a tough spot to be in for sure, I bet. But, you know, one thing, it's a rare thing in this era for them to actually even mention something like that. You know, you didn't hear about deaths in wrestling being mentioned on wrestling television. And it, it is definitely interesting to me that. You know, he had get just worked Florida, but I mean, good lord, he had been a major star in Crockett territory. They never announced his death on television, as far as I know. That, I mean, it may have happened in like passing during a match or something, but I have no memory of Tony or David or Carl or Johnny Weaver or anybody mentioning Jay's passing on Crockett television. No, same same here, and I, and I wonder if that maybe had something to do with kind of the downward spiral he was he was in towards the end of his run there. Uh, and then maybe not knowing the details really surrounding how he may have passed. So maybe better just kind of sweep it under the rug. But in, in Florida's case, he had just been there. So maybe, you know, circumstances were a little bit different there with the Grams and how they were thinking about it. But I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yet. It's a little odd, though. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the World Wrestling Federation as we pivot to. I tried. Uh... They didn't want me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. 
think uh, I think you're gonna be all right on that one. Um, but at, at this point, 1985, Dave Meltzer says the WF's really on a roll right now. Crowds, for the most part, are the best they've ever been. After one year of talk about the exploding interest of, in wrestling, now there's at least a measure of validity to it. Although outside this group and possibly Jim Crockett, every promotion in the country is doing worse than usual for this time of year, and several remain about as well off as Mike Von Erich. Wow. Oh, Dave. Which we'll have more on that later. To get You'll get that reference. And real quick before we talk about this even more, Vince McMahon signed a new deal with USA Network for all W programming to be on the network for another two years. Think about that. 37 years ago, he yep. signed a deal to be on there for another two years. And 37 years later, they're there still. In one well, form, with, with a small break in there. but Yeah, it's, it's a legacy, basically. And now, you know, they're, they're a legacy product on on that network and i don't foresee them ever leaving unless you i mean you unless something major happens on one side or the other i think they're gonna be on usa network for as long as uh, there is a world wrestling entertainment that is the way it is and i think that fact right there is what probably makes you know nbc universal the odds on favorite to buy them if that day ever comes absolutely but hey let's go back to 1985 i mean saturday night's main event has started up by now um you know, WrestleMania's happened. Yeah, absolutely. Summer 1985, Hulk Hogan's rocking wrestling's about to get started. LJN figures are about to get going harder and heavier. I mean, good Lord, Lenny. I mean, you're in the, the heart of WF country. Yeah, they're about as stout as they ever were at this point in time. Yeah, and, and you can see it was it was the start of really the wrestling getting back into the mainstream again after you know a bit of a hiatus for a while from you know back in the 60s when it was a little more uh in in the in the mainstream when there wasn't as much to watch on an entertainment basis on television and things like that where it was kind of a staple everywhere but uh this is really where it started to blow up and and the quote-unquote casual fan was born absolutely yes i mean this is that era where Wrestling has picked up a whole new fan base and birthed the quote unquote casual fan phenomenon because there are people that were fans of Doya because of their relationships with MTV and beyond known NBC programming and all the other stuff they had going on. Yeah, I mean, wrestling is a totally new thing than it had ever been before. And uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's interesting to look at, Bix, about how much. Uh, how much they grew, you know, and just after WrestleMania, you know, just uh, we're five months since WrestleMania and how much they've, they've grown as a promotion since then. Yeah. And also because they were lining up all the big deals and stuff around that time with manufacturing and all that. Now, with, you know, later in the year is when it's starting to really pay off. You've got more Coliseum videos coming out. You've got the action figures coming out. I'm sure there's other stuff that starts to come out around this. You know, all the well, rock and wrestling, and well, the CBS. cartoon starts that fall. That yeah. fall, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Saturday Night's Mind Event started right after Mania, too. So, yeah. they're rolling, and they're rolling in a way that no other wrestling promotion ever has up to this point. And Lenny, I mean, you know how it is on the independent scene. How there's jealousy among uh, promoters. Yeah, I mean, good lord, like Dave said here. All the other promotions that for Jim Crockett are, are starting to struggle or not doing what they were the year earlier. So, you know, that there's paranoia going on in uh, the promoters around the country. 
Well, yeah, they had already kind of started their uh, first attempt to band together to fight the evil World Wrestling Federation the year before with, you know, Pro Wrestling USA trying to get off the ground. And, you know, it went absolutely nowhere. Um, so, yeah, everybody, I think, was starting to see the writing on the wall that, you know, the inevitable was going to happen uh, at some point. I, mean, I guess Vern probably didn't see it, but... <laughs> You know, he he should have seen it better than anyone. Um, but yeah, it was and, and it basically was the start of what we've seen again for the last 37 years that you've got WWF and Crockett and nobody else. And then Crockett was gone, too. And uh, here we are. How many years later, hoping that, you know, another group will be able to kind of be able to coexist with the behemoth that is uh, still the WWE. Absolutely. Out of curiosity, I was just looking at newspapers.com to see how much LGN ads and stuff there were so far. Um, right after our week, I saw in another area right before, though, uh, Variety Distributors, Inc. Uh, on uh, Kings Highway in Brooklyn had uh, various LJN WWF items already. And <sighs> minus their special rebate... Jesus, I, th- this must be this. Okay, this store must be a front for something. They were charging three ninety seven for LJNs when they first came out. It, it was Brooklyn. They fell off the truck first, <laughs> and that's what's. <laughs> and that's at the top of the ad. Three ninety nine was three ninety nine was still one hundred percent profit, Vix. <laughs> <laughs> well, the regular profit is four ninety seven, which is still less than everywhere else too. And they were charging. Uh, Twelve ninety seven, much is minus the dollar variety rebate uh, for the ring, and then of course you can get your uh, you can get a talk and play, you can get Cabbage Patch Kids, you can get uh, what else do we have here? Well, if you if you are lucky, you could get a Cabbage Barbie. Patch. <laughs> oh, hey, got... I live in Cabbage Patch Country. I mean, the the Cabbage Patch uh, headquarters is you know it's a couple hours away from me. Uh, we got the Potato Head family. We've got Chatty Patty for just seven ninety seven. Um, also <laughs> shows how much has changed over the years that I, I looked, it says it's by the D and the M trains. There is no longer a subway stop anywhere near there. <laughs> and Evolve probably ran very close to there. <laughs> oh, excuse me. They also did have a, uh, they did have a Forest Hills store too, but, uh, but yes, yeah, like, well, yes, Evolve's, Evolve loved the, uh, the various South Brooklyn church gyms, which I guess I'll t- I might as well tell everyone listening why indie promotions in New York City love those church gyms. Particularly after 2016, when the rules about uh, the commission's wrestling requirements changed, those churches have their own ambulances. So you don't have to pay for an ambulance hey, if you run those church any, gyms. Any way to save some bucks. <laughs> so that's why that's why so many promotions, including Evolve, would run uh, St. Finbar's, and I believe also uh, the beautifully named Most Most Precious Blood Youth Center also had their own uh, <laughs> their own ambulance. If it was if it's the MPB in Queens, they had a very good hockey team back in my youth. What? No, wait a minute, Bix, run that by me again. Most pr- what? Most Hold Precious on. Blood. What was the name of that place? Most Precious Blood Youth Center, I believe. Most Precious Blood Youth Center. Wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it was that. That's where they ran uh, the show where Janela won the WWN title. I, I don't even remember the name. That I never heard of that name. I don't remember. Uh, it was the only. T- it was the only time they ran there. That was also the show where uh, 
the show got moved from Laboom last minute because Laboom was double booked, and that's a whole other story. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get back to 1985 now. The talk is the reason why Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine were given the WF tag titles last week in Philadelphia was because Greg Valentine had thought about leaving recently, and they felt this could keep him there. Valentine had been talking to Mid-South about coming in. Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine Greg Valentine in uh, mid to late 85, Mid-South with, with that crew of Duggan and Doc and Jake and DiBiase and Butch Reed. Oh, my goodness gracious. Going 25 with Kamal. <laughs> great. But it's fun. Valentine is something. All right, so we have him here in 85, talk about leaving and getting gets the tag titles. 87, he's about out the door, going to go be the new member of the Four Horsemen. And then they said, no, 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 stay here. We'll get put Jimmy, back, Jimmy Hart back with you. But, uh, I mean, it's interesting that Valentine is the one that you, you hear about leaving the most in this era of WF and, and stays. They find a way to make him stay. Which, um, tell, which tells me, if nothing else, he knows where all the bodies are buried. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because what other reason is there to go that far out of your way to keep Greg Valentine at this point? Like, <laughs> when you think about it, he's there seven. I mean, he's there seven years. Yeah. Eighty-four to ninety-one. Him and Tito. I mean, they, they were the 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 guys in for the long haul. You know, the continuous basically. Yeah. And um, Alex, but nobody, but nobody who I'd call a difference maker that you're going to fight tooth and nail to keep them from leaving. No, but I think Valentine's that guy that I think they see he is like the quintessential worker, and they don't want to lose a guy like him because you know he he's going to go out there and he's going to have a good match no matter what, basically. Yeah, especially yeah. in this era. Although it's also interesting because he doesn't work the house style at all. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, him, BK, though, I mean, the dream team, they, he helped BK more than anybody helped BK. I mean, that, that that's a fact. But uh, I, I, I mean, I like the dream team tag team. I thought they were good together. And uh, well, the matches I, I are good because they're basically Greg for the whole match. Yeah, well, pretty much. That's why I like them. Um, I mean, they had the titles for a good seven months. So they had a nice long title reign. So, uh, yeah, it worked out in the end, and Beefcake became a bigger deal because of it. So, uh, yeah, I, mean, I got no problem with them being the tag champs. Better than Sheik and Volkoff in this era, absolutely. So, yeah, I've I've wondered, even though Wyndham does come back for like that one TV taping in a month or so after this, I've wondered how much Vince or whoever knew that Wyndham might want to leave because. Getting your eye attacked with be a lit cigar does feel like a good way to write someone out. Yeah, but he's there like way later than that. You know, that's the thing. I mean, he doesn't leave until October. I know, but he's off. He's at least off TV for weeks. Well, still the angle. But see, remember, I remember Real American was their song. Which they only used in that one TV match where he comes out with his eye bandaged. Yeah. So, but they got they got lucky that Spivey was there, and they could put Spivey in there, and he looks like a bigger, thicker Wyndham. Well, so. <laughs> which they never said he was Barry Wyndham, but they just acted like he was there all along. 
it was a seamless transition. So it's like watching uh it's like watching Bewitched when they switch yeah. sw- when they switch to dicks. Dick Stork and Dick Sargent. <laughs> yeah, when they switch dicks. Yes. Um okay, so for what it's worth when at least Wyndham, according to KH Match, has nothing between the title switch and that October first uh, Poughkeepsie taping, and then he works for another His last two weeks. Is October sixteenth. Yeah, he works for another two weeks doing house shows, and that's it. Yeah. So, and then he goes back to Florida. But yeah. All right. So you'll like this one, Bix. WF originally had a show booked at Sullivan Arena. Sullivan. In Anchorage, Alaska on September 3rd. But the AWA and Torberg signed an exclusive contract with the building and promoter Joe Capetti oh, is now forced to find another building to bring the WF in. So is Herb Abrams the only startup promoter of the early 90s that was not previously an AWA house show promoter? <laughs> yeah, because Tor- yeah, Torberg's, uh, he promotes the big Alaska tour that takes place before our week. And, uh, yeah, he's uh does a lot of work with Vern in that era. But that's a long way to go. You know, Alaska. Um it's yes in the United States, but still that's a long way to go. Uh, so I'm sure that the the talent, the day of talent were not, you know, jumping at the chance to make that trip. <laughs> Good lord. Well, did they run Calgary or anything near that or well, they ran Canada, of course. They would go into Canada and run there, but still. But, I mean, did they run anything near Alaska when the, or have scheduled anything scheduled near Alaska? Well, they ran Vancouver. But not right here. Okay, so I'm looking at – this was supposed to be which date? September the 3rd. Okay, so let's look at about a week on either side. At least what's on HistoryWWE.com. We've got Minneapolis, Montreal, Brantford TV, Syracuse – Different crew in South Bend. Yeah, there's nowhere near Ingham that area. 10, yeah, what, what, what's Ferndale, Michigan? Oh, it's a fair show. There's, okay. There's nowhere near it in September 85. I mean, Casper, Wyoming's the closest to it. Yeah, I see. Den- they do have Denver on August 29th. Yeah, Casper's the next day. And then, yeah, there's nothing that we have results for, at least that would have been close, which... I mean, it is 1985 WWF. There's not much routing going on. Well, I mean, hey, WWF wanted to go to Alaska. Hey, WWN went to China, Lenny. You know all about that. I, I didn't get to go. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, I, I mean, you, I'm sure you heard the story. So yeah, I was supposed to go. I couldn't. I couldn't get away for work for two weeks. I mean, Jesus Christ! I just have a long way to go to damn work. <laughs> although, although a couple of years later, I did end up going back and forth to japan like in a, in a four-day swing so oh yeah yeah my second japan tour with dragon it wasn't even a tour it was the one show i was in the air for 36 hours and on the ground for 28 <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> amazing man how was that flight man I, I i've always wanted to go to japan but it's that's long. one thing yeah that's one thing that kind of like ugh. It's long. Oh, oh. Fortunately, I didn't have Larry Dallas right next to me, so it made it a little <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's something I pulled, to be thankful about. I, I, I pulled the vet card, and I paid the extra 100 for an exit row. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and left him about five rows behind. 
Oh, well, <laughs> a learning experience for him, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, 19 <laughs> hours in the air. I, I, my legs are short, but I still need to stretch them. <laughs> yeah, you go. All right, house shows, Chicago, Rosemont Horizon, August 31st, 18,000 sellout at this show. We have Adrian Adonis being Tony Gurria, 19 minutes for this match. Hmm. Moondog spot over Steve Lombardi. King Kong Bundy over Swede Hansen. Ricky Steamboat over Magnificent Morocco by his qualification. Iron Sheik over George Animal Still by Countout. The British Bulldogs over the Heart Foundation. Wendy Richter retained the women's title, beating the Spider Lady by DQ, not Moolah. WF Intercontinental title match. Tito retained over the Missing Link. And Hogan retained the title, beating Nikolai Volkov in the main event. I mean, you see why this showed you 18,000 fans. Yeah, you got Hogan in the main event, but that's a pretty solid undercard. And the uh, size of the crowd shocking. Since recent Chicago shows, even Hogan have drawn in the 2,500 to 4,500 range. Dave seriously doubts even if Vern's outdoor show comes off on September 28th, which it does, it can draw 18,000. And as sickening as this sounds, it may not even outdraw that horrible tab main event WF has the next night in Chicago with Andre and Hulk against Bundy and Stud, which that not, that show, as I scroll down here, ended up drawing uh, 14,000 with Mr. T and Hogan and Andre's corner. So Superclass kind of uh, did have an effect on them, I would say, in that situation. Um, but, um, okay, so something's not mentioned by Dave here, though. In Superclass, you're 21,000 announced at Comiskey. Go ahead. This is their debut in the building. He's comparing it to shows at the UIC. There's that, too. You're, you are right. You are correct. This is the debut in the Rosemont Horizon because AWA was running the Rosemont Horizon. Yes. And, so. Okay, so going back... July 19th was 3,000 at the UIC Pavilion with uh, U.S. Express over Sheik and Volkov in a tornado tag and Tito over Beefcake. Uh, June was 7,000 with JYD, Valentine, a Battle Royal, and uh, Sheik and Volkov versus U.S. Express scheduled with Brunzel subbing for Wyndham. So that's fairly loaded uh, name value wise the may show with the oprah taping um remember that well w- drew 3000 with hogan morocco tito and jyd versus dream team well like it's not quite the dream team yet because it's icy champion greg and beefcake and those are your main drawing matches and then let's yeah 2709 so i guess that's from the commission <laughs> or a newspaper uh, for Andre versus Stud and Patera. So, and this this is Hogan at the Horizon is what's the draw, I think. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's a hell of a house. Yep. No matter how you look at it. Yes. Oh, and Spider Lady in all of the pre-title change matches is uh, Penny Mitchell. Yeah. And I don't think Brett and Jim are actually the Hart Foundation yet either. I think they're just Ooh, Brett Hart and Jim, not Hart. When do they start using the name? It's late in 85. I don't think it's at this point in time, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah. When, when yeah. Brett tells the story, just put us together and call us the Hart Foundation. That's it, it's either not true or they just didn't use the name at first. Yeah, but people talk about Chicago now being a hot wrestling town. Lenny, it's always been a hot wrestling town for sure. Still one of my favorite places to go. Yeah, Ring of Honor had a lot of great shows in Chicago <laughs> over the years when you were with them, and I was Evolve. only at one of them. So you only did one of Chicago shows? 
Yeah. Wow. So, well, because he's voicing the rest over in South. You're Lincoln. right. That's right. That's we right. Didn't do, we didn't do anything live. The only time they ever brought me to Chicago was the Man Up pay per view with the Briscoes angle because Dave and I opened the uh, we opened the show uh, when Ty- when Tyler Black now Seth Rollins jumped the guardrail and took the microphone from Dave to start the show, yelling "Age of the Fall, Age of the Fall." right before the opening four-way. But literally, they flew us to Chicago just to shoot that opening <laughs> so, that, so that they didn't have faceless announcers and everybody would know who the announcers were. Well, they didn't um, have to fly Dave to Chicago. Yes, they, well, they just He's flew right me, there. correct. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So that probably made it a little easier. <laughs> yeah, Chicago's always been a hot wrestling town. And, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. To this day. Is Man Up also the show where the, where the lighting is so bad that the... Sh- that you and Dave are just glowing orbs. No, that was New York when we were on the stage and, and we were uh, we got interrupted by uh, Dean and Generico okay. calling out the. <laughs> I, I wish I still had that screenshot around some because it's 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 literally two glowing orbs sitting on top of suits. <laughs> some would say it was an improvement. <laughs> Well, Chicago ain't the hot, only, only hot place for WF right now. The September 2nd show in Cincinnati at Riverfront Coliseum drew 10,368. Largest crowd in years, if not ever, in that city. Hogan and Piper was the main event. Hogan beat Piper by DQ in 925. And what Dave was told was a fantastic match. In fact, Dave was told the entire card was excellent. One report by Norm Dooley gave it five stars, which is hard to believe. Also, uh, Bulldogs over Heart Foundation, Steamboat Morocco by DQ. Dave's reports that these matches have been pretty good. Macho Man over George Wells. JYD over Bob Orton Jr. Iron Mike Sharp going to a draw with Lanny Poffo and other prelims. Dave's actually received any reports of good matches so much that Curiosity Book has bit him. And he's going to attend the September 16th show in Fresno, which will be his first non-vacation live card in six months. And he said it'd be six months after this, at least before I see another one. <laughs> Which, for those who don't know, this is still... This is basically very early in the period where Dave realized he's going to keep doing the Wrestling Observer newsletter, not just to fill out people's subscriptions after he stopped doing the legal pad-sized Wrestling Observer uh when he got his job is uh, what was it? It was this was when he was at Soccer America magazine. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so he was filling out subscriptions with the Wrestling Observer newsletter, and then people liked it, and he never stopped doing it. But he was he there was a lot of wrestling he was not watching or following outside of doing the newsletter at that time. Um, as far as the five stars thing, well, okay, two things. One, that means Norm Dooley says that it's at least as good as that Lawler Funk match at the Coliseum that he also saw live. And here's the thing. Do I necessarily think this would be as good a match? No, but it's Hogan Piper in 85 in a hot city that is familiar with Piper going back years, including with him being a babyface there. I can see this being like a really good heated brawl at a minimum. That's the thing. You know, it's not just about work rate. You know, I mean, the the atmosphere, the experience, the uh, the vibe, the heat, 
I mean, good Lord, Lenny, there's been a lot of matches that I thought were great matches that weren't the greatest work matches, but you, you combine the, all the stuff that went with it. That's what makes it a five-star match. For sure. It's not, it's not just being able to do great moves. You got to be able to, you know, capture the people. And, And those two guys at that period of time, uh, in that period of both of their careers were as good as anybody as garnering a reaction, positive or negative, from a crowd uh, in, as anybody in wrestling. So I, I could certainly see a hot brawl for nine minutes coming off as, you know, probably better than it coming off better than it really was. But, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? If you're one of the 10,368 people in that building, you're probably going to think that match was better than somebody who watched it on tape 10 years later. Absolutely. Live experience goes a long way in your thought process of, of what's good and what's not good. Absolutely. Yes. All right. By the way, the first of three scheduled NBC Saturday night specials will air on October the 5th. They reported late September last time. It'll be taped October 3rd in the Meadowlands. Dave doesn't have an official word on this, but he's expecting the show will be centered around Uncle Elmer's wedding. And we thought they couldn't top that awful show they did last year. Dave's expecting basically a rerun of the Butcher for Sean wedding they did on cable last year. But this will be on a network. They're going to get an incredible amount of publicity from this. And let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing a lot of you know research lately on 1985 and wrestling and stuff, results and stuff. This was covered in, in, in just by every fucking newspaper that's on all the newspaper services. This this was a huge deal at the time. And let's um, say wrestling fans may have hated the hell out of it because of what it was. But Lenny, as I said earlier, we're in that phenomenon of the casual fan and stuff like this is what hooks people like that in. It's that entertainment factor. Of of something like this, see this fat hillbilly marrying this woman, and you having all your wrestlers doing all their chicanery involving the wedding. I mean, this is what 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 the network wants to see, stuff like this. And he was legitimately married to her that day. Yes, that's the best part of it. It was a flipping shoot. <laughs> well, and they and they mostly played a trade. It was pretty much the opposite of the Vashon wedding. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, nobody was getting. Uh, <laughs> Nobody was getting drunk and uh, we had no possibly committing fights. felonies. No. Yeah, we we had you know women's tops being pulled off by uh, certain tag team champions, but uh, but yeah, I mean former tag team champions just to be former clear. tag at that time, yes, former tag team champions. But um, yeah, I mean they played it pretty straight the whole way through. But this was, I guess, Dave, I mean Dave. Called it right. This was a major deal at the time. Lots of newspaper coverage on this, on this thing. I'm looking at the AP photo right now in uh, the Akron Beacon Journal with uh, Hogan, Joyce, Elmer, and Tiny Tim. Hogan in his uh, uh, cut off sleeveless tuxedo. His tuxedo shirt, yes. Tuxedo shirt, and uh, he's wearing his black spandex. Well, that's that was that was his formal wear everywhere at the time. <laughs> yes, it was. The pants, the pants were at least, and then he, depending on the event, he might wear the cutoff tuxedo shirt, or he'd wear the rest of the uh, spandex uh, ensemble. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's 
this is what they this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to expand the horizon of wrestling fans. It's not about you know the, the old school wrestling fans. It's about going to a broader audience, and that's what this is doing, whether we liked it or not. It's all about the money, folks. Remember that in the in the end, it's all about the bottom line. All right, we close out this segment with uh, the Bacho Man and Elizabeth on Piper's Pit, and Elizabeth is pretty fresh into uh, her run in WF and acts a little different here as you, uh, as you would normally see Elizabeth. So uh, let's go to the clip, shall we? Real quick, I'm just curious to see when when is her debut? It was. I'm looking. Okay, it it had just aired. It was the August 24th uh, Championship Wrestling. Yep. That was taped July 30th. So this is her second week of TV. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be so kind to me. It's nothing. It's nothing. Hot Rod is here. I would like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and I use the term very loosely, I would like to bring out a very special guest. His name is Randy Macho Man Savage, and he is the number one free agent in the entire wrestling. Hello, Macho Man. No, he's not. I'm feeling real good. I suppose you're wondering right now how I came to my super decision of picking the manager. You know, you had so many managers to pick from, and I was wondering myself, there was, there was that fat cat, Albano, there was Plasti, there was a Jim Hart, there's all kinds of people, but you chose someone very special, and I'm not really sure why. Very special, and what it did is I came down to staring into a candle for six consecutive hours, and I suppose you'd like to see her right now. Come on out, Liz. Come on out, Elizabeth, and show these people who I know. Elizabeth has got a few tell, tell, tell me something. Now, do you handle all his affairs? Oh, well, all I have to say is I'm truly thrilled to be here on Piper's Pit with you today. All right. The thrill of all, of course, is that I'm in the corner with the Macho Man Randy Savage. He's the biggest thrill. You're in the corner of the Macho Man? This is Ace. You should have shaved, Ace. <laughs> should have shaved for the lady. <laughs> no! Well, see, I was going to go kiss him. <laughs> yes, and uh, history of WWE.com notes, this is actually the first time she is formally introduced as Elizabeth. Yes. But she's all smiles and... She's not know, a that's... mere clear babyface Elizabeth, no. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not doing that gimmick yet, but... And she does this for a little while, you know, uh, until, you know, 85 comes to, to an end. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it would be interesting if they would have went in that direct, more that direction with Elizabeth Lenny, if they would have kept her more as a, I would say heelish, but more supportive of Randy in, in this type of role than what they did. Yeah, it was. I think it's one of those things where it just took them a while to find her groove, 
she's not a natural performer. At least she wasn't at that point. You could tell um, that she was still trying to figure a lot of stuff out. So it may have just been a lot of trial and error at house shows before she was able to kind of, you know, find a lane that worked for uh, for her and the character and for Randy. Yeah. Yeah. But, hey, uh, a legend is born here as Miss Elizabeth becomes a legendary among guys your age at the time, Lenny. I mean, she was a definite favorite among the teenage boys of that era, especially one Vincent Russo. <laughs> well, less, less said about that, the better probably. <laughs> because women in wrestling, I mean, women in wrestling at that time, I mean, they weren't presented like Elizabeth was presented no. here, you know? Not glamorously. No. Yeah, they definitely made made her out to be a much bigger deal uh, than any other woman they had had previously. Even almost, I would go as far as say almost to, to the level of Wendy Richter, even though she wasn't a wrestler, uh, Elizabeth. But like they they made the whole courtship and selection process around her a huge huge focus of their TV for a while. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, she was as big a star as the wrestlers. <laughs> okay. I could say that. Here's a question that just hit me as I'm trying to see if I can find any newspaper mentions or anything. When is the first time she's referred to as Miss Elizabeth? Because I can't find anything about her as Miss Elizabeth until March 86. Here, Savage just calls her Elizabeth. I mean, I gotta think it's probably, you know, when she starts to become more of a baby face, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, like I said, a legend is born here in 1985. Lenny be back with us in just a little bit. We're going to go international now. I'm going to go to the land of the rising sun, all Japan Pro Wrestling. And they had a big show at Sumo Hall on August 31st in front of 10,500. We have uh, Yoshiro Momoto over Shinji Sasaki. Norionaga over Mitsu Momoto. Tarzan Goto and Toshiko Kawada went to a 20-minute draw with Shinichi Nakano and Fumihiro Nakura. Great Kojika and Mighty Inoue over Tim Horner and Marty Jannetty. Okay. Tor Kamada over Matoshi Okuma. Anima Hamaguchi and Masakarisu in a cemetery Nishi over Gorosurumi, Rushkamura, and Masaki Takasugi. Killer Khan over Shirahara by disqualification. Tiger Mask 2 Masao retained the NW International Junior title, beating Kunio Ko- No, he won it from Kunio Kobayashi, excuse me. Killer Tim Brooks and Tiger G Singh over Giant Baba and Takashi Shikawa. Great Kabuki over Haru Sonoda, his uh, protege, Magic Dragon. The Funks over Riki Choshu and Yoshiki Yasu by countout. And then Teddy Biasi and Stan Hansen retained the PW Attack titles, beating Daniel Gurichiro and Jumbo Sharuda in your main event. Stat card there, I'd say, Bix. Yeah. And Marty Gennetti's Lone All Japan Tour. Yeah, him and Tim Horner grow beards, if I'm not mistaken, during the tour. So there's that, too. Because huh. they got their dick heel beards going on because they work in heel. Oh. Interesting. Um, did you see uh, Roy Lusher tweeting some stuff he got from a big order from uh, Toto Khan uh, recently, including the. Uh, Terry Funk retirement program from two years earlier. I saw something like that, yeah. It's interesting seeing, like, you know, some of the guys look like babies, Masawa, Kawada, Fuyuki. And then, like, the Momotas, Koshinaka, and um, Tarzan Goto all basically look the same. 
as they would later. Yeah. Some of those guys just, they don't, they are either old, young, or don't age. One of the two. Yeah. This is Horner's only tour, too, uh, as I'm checking cage match. And they made TV a couple of times. I got their matches. I've never seen that stuff. I'm curious now because I'm looking at some of this. We got stuff like uh, Choshu, well, Yashu, and Hamaguchi. Let, well, oh, go ahead. Well, let me tell you what made TV. So, uh, all right. So, as I look here, I'm just right there in that area. All right, so go to my list. All right, so uh, Choshu and Yatsu against Horner and Janetti. That made TV. Uh, Baba, Baba, Dory Jr., and Tenru over Killer Tim Bros, Tim Horner, and Marty Janetti. That made TV. Uh, all right, they're not on that tour. So that TV, mm. they're not on that TV. Right, let me scroll down here. Uh, Tiger Mask Two versus Marty Janetti. Huh. So yeah, that that's oh, uh, Ricky Choshu against Tim Horner. So there you go. Those made TV. Uh, uh, here's a match you never would have picked. Anna oh, yeah. Mahamaguchi and Ricky Choshu against Marty and Harley Race. That's interesting. Uh, Baba Tenru against Tim Horner and Torquemada. Hamaguchi, Choshu, and Yatsu against Killer Tim Bros, Great Kabuki, and Marty Tanati. These are all TV matches, folks. Not a TV match, but here's an interesting one. Kobayashi and Hanaga over Janetti and Miguel Perez Jr. Yeah, Miguel Perez Jr. did not make TV during this tour. So. Aww. But anyway. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Talk is that Antonio Noki's already regretting the world-class talent sharing deal because of the lack of talent that world-class has at the moment. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, he made a, a bad. I mean, well, I mean, I guess him and WF weren't going to work together no matter what no more. But still, world class was not the right call for him. She probably should. I mean, well, Memphis wasn't the greatest call either. That's who Sakuchi like was looking at. They should have done with Mid South, which they do you know, eventually. Yeah, but oof. Jimmy Snuka's told people he plans to only work for New Japan. And the reason why he had drug problems with WF was because of them and how they do business. I don't buy that, brother. <laughs> I'm sure he had a drug problem before he was in the WF. Yeah, although I, you never really hear that many stories of what he was like before the drugs. No. Well, not I me mean, before WF, at least. Well, I mean, you never really hear anything about him having a personality other than what Meltzer would refer to as super fried Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we've talked about before why I'm pretty sure he actually was only working for New Japan, right? Yes. The Argentino wrongful death lawsuit. Yeah, he's staying away. Well, no, and also in New Japan, because he's Brody's partner, he can get boatloads of money paid in cash that won't be traceable. Yeah. And he can make enough to some degree to live just working New Japan. I mean, of course he can. He's working for there pretty regularly. So like, and he made, he was making what ten grand a week in New Japan. Oh, I don't know. He was getting more than his actual value at the time because he was Brody's partner, though, right? We can agree on that. Yeah, I don't know what he was making. So it was a lot. But I've always been con kind of convinced by that. And then it was wasn't that long after his bankruptcy that uh, he goes back to the WWF. Mm-hmm. Yamagata, Japan. New Japan City. Yamagata City Gym on August 30th for a 2860. Um, 
Yeah, Nokisano over Masaharu Fanaki. Uh, Hirokazu Hata over Masahiro Chono. Yang Sung Hai over Black Cat. Anuro Atasone over Shinya Hashimoto. Don Arakawa and Keijimuto over Tony St. Clair and Umanaseki Ueda by qualification. Shiro Koshinaka over Siva Afi. Shinji Kasuki over Keiichi Yamada. The international tag titles match. Tetsumi Fujinami and Kim Kamara retained over Kerry Brown and Hacksaw Higgins. And Antonio Nokia Seisaguchi over Giant Machine and Super Machine by disqualification. Well, at least they're still getting some foreign talent from Polypro. <laughs> well, Atasone is basically working. He's like in the dojo at this point in time. Okay, gotcha. But Siva Afi, well, who's Siva Afi through? Is that through? That's through. That's Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. So. And we've still yeah. got a little bit of WWF residue. Well, Andre. <laughs> I forgot though that Edie was Super Machine here before WWF. Mm-hmm. How many? How much did he work here as Super Machine? Uh, not long, because he's Superstar with Murdoch on the tag tour tag tournament in December. So. I forget, is Big Machine in the initial machine skits in WWF? No. Not that's, what I, that's what I thought. So he's he, added. He's yeah. added basically because they need another giant when Andre can't make all the days. Correct. UWF. And this show was uh, out there because I have uh, a lot of some of these matches on DVD. On September 2nd, at Takashi Seaside Sports Center in Osaka from 2056. Tatsuo Nakano over Shiyoshi Okamoto. Satoru Hiramatsu over Yoji Anjo. Scott McGee over Hiroki Mori. Osami Soranaka over Osama Hoshina. Then we had the Kakutu Prospect Tournament. Osama Kido over Kazuo Yamazaki. Satoru Sayama over Akira Maeda by disqualification. Notice no clean finish there. And Yoshiaki Fujiwara over Nobuhiku Takada. And these is, are strong matches here. Is that the famous Maeda Sayama match? Uh, I know they have more than one. But is that the one, one with the low blows? Um, Not possibly this one. Was Cor- there was one at Corrigan. Uh, I'm trying to see if we have the date. You might, this might be the one, though, because it is a DQ finish. That's what I'm thinking. Is there anything else that has a DQ? I don't think so. Is there? This pro- it's, it's maybe it. Oh, wait. Okay. I found the Laura Feiss thing. That should say what date. Uh... Yeah, it's this match. There you go. So it's uh, just scrolling down here to the... Wait. Okay, Maeda's always been a shady character, but from what I can see, I'm leaning towards Sayama just claiming it was a low blow. Yeah, so it's... <sighs> wait, so who was it through the... Through the shot it was okay here's okay it's okay he need sayama low for no apparent reason leading to the dq it's almost certain maeda was supposed to lose when he defeated tiger in their previous match one can deduce maeda may have just been looking for an out um so yeah this match started weird and then turned into this so it's not like maeda just had one incident yeah i'm just now I'm at the end of New Japan 1987, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he's there and he's not there because, you know, the Choshi thing wasn't televised. That was a house show at Corrigan. Right. 
so Maeda's on TV wrestling in the tag league at Super Strong Machine with Super Strong Machine as his partner, and then he's gone. I forgot and that they like kept him. No explanation for the tag tournament. No, it the, the the house show took place during the tag tournament. Oh, okay. So they let him they finish had the out the tournament. Their matches. Oh, the, oh, they didn't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and Choshu comes back on December 27th and faces Anoki, which I just watched that. Okay. And uh, Anoki fucked him up. That's the infamous Vader debut. Okay. Because Vader comes out after that. Right, right, right. And, okay. and beats Anoki. You want to talk about a fucking hot crowd. <laughs> that night at Sumo Hall was a fucking hot crowd. Well, fucking, uh, and then they got so pissed off. Yeah, Takeshi Katano. Man, that dude had some heat. Fabian were into him. So, I'm about to get in 1988. So it's going to be interesting how that goes. All right, uh, but yeah, th- th- those final three matches are are pretty damn great. So there you go. All right, All Japan Women they ran in Fukuoka on September 2nd from 1500. Mika Komatsu over Mika Suzuki, Meguma Nakame, Monica Castillo, and Kondo Saito over Mitsuko Nishiwaki, Kazue Nagahori, and Karako Nagatomo. Yukari Amori and Jaguar Yokota over Izuki Yamazaki and Jumbo Hori. Devil Masami over Norio Tateno. And then a two out of three falls match. That only goes 13 minutes. Bull Nakano, Monster Ripper, and Dump Matsumoto. That's a team. Meaning Yumi Ogura, Shikusen Gaio, and Linus Asuka. So uh, there's the uh, Ultra Fan women picks. And uh, they, got, they got some uh, hellacious talent here at this point in time. Young talent at that. Yes, very strong looking card here. But it's, you know, it's mid-80s Ultra Fan women, so of course. Um, always interesting when you see full results too from the 80s because you see names who just kind of disappear over the years that whether they were they just quit or they were fired for allegedly not being good enough workers or whatever they quit I don't know if they quit but they might have quit who's Monica Castillo beats me <laughs> was she trained by them ah uh, who knows hmm and, you know, we don't talk about this stuff that much, but there is tons of 80s All Japan women on YouTube. Mm-hmm. If you want to see it, it's out there. Yeah. All right, we got World of Sport. They ran a show, uh, Del Martin Productions, at uh, Joint Productions, whatever you want to call them, at Town Hall in Wycombe, Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire on and this is a 3rd. TV taping, it looks like. Yeah. Yes, it is TV taping. Terry Rudge over John Savage. Not that one. Yeah, the Britain John Savage. Uh, ITV Trophy final match, Fit Finley over Johnny Kincaid by referee decision. Tom Tyrone over Johnny Wilson. Clive Myers over Mike Bennett, the original Mike Bennett by his qualification. Big Daddy and Steve Gray over Sid Cooper and Tiny Callahan. And Pete Roberts over Ray Steele. Hmm. A, lot of, a lot of great workers on this show. Yes, and uh, looking at John Lister's ITV Wrestling website, as far as what airs, uh, Rudge and Savage airs on the 14th, uh, as does Finley Kincaid, or that airs, maybe that's split up, I'm having trouble reading how we describe this, uh, Steele versus Roberts airs on October 5th, uh, Johnny Wilson versus Tom Tyrone airs on October 12th, uh, as does Bennett and Myers, and that's it. So, most of this stuff made TV. Yeah. And, of course, if you want to find this stuff, you don't want to just search on YouTube itself, or or 
yeah, these aren't. These are YouTube links. Um, John has everything embedded on the page. So yeah, underrated resource, itvwrestling.co.uk. There you go. Good stuff. All right, as we continue, let's go to Canada and Lute Promotions. We have uh, Paul Sauve Arena, Montreal, September 2nd, in front of 4208. As Little Beaver and Tiger Jackson beat Sonny Boy and Poncho Boy. Denis Goulet over Yvonne Laverdere. Destruction no. number one. Laverdue. Or Laverdue, La- maybe. Laverdue, yes, excuse me. Destruction number one over Sunny Warcloud. Okay. Gino Brito Jr. went to a double DQ with Pierre Lefebvre. Dino Bravo went to a no contest with Jules Duc. And the Rougeaux, Ramon and Jacques, defeated Ronnie Garvin and Jimmy Garvin. Sounds like a small crowd for Rougeau's versus Garvin's. I think the turn, I think the feud and ran his course, Bix. So when was? I mean, this is towards the end because you know, Ronnie's about to go back and Jimmy's about to come back. So because Jimmy's about to win AWA t- tag titles, I think. Yeah, you know, I think he's back in AWA. Yeah, because he's back on the seventh in in St. Paul. Well, the TV. big the big beak down that really sets things on fire. I mean, is, oh, that stuff's already at. Wait, well, well, that's what I'm saying. Back. No, no, that's Saint, uh, Saint John Baptiste Day massacre, and Saint John the Baptist Day is uh, late June. Yeah, so I'm saying the fuse and ran its course. So people tired of seeing it, I guess. All right, uh, let's go to Mexico now. We're in Mexico on August 30th for EMLO. Salvaje and Sangre Fria. Defeated Sombra Vamblada and Super Boyido. Aguila de Plata, Aguila Soloteria, and No Marnaca Javier Cruz over Animal, Carolinco and Limus. El Dorado, Solar, and Solar 2 over Infamero Jr., Supremo, and Tadisman. With Supremo and Dorado making mass challenges. Control Mendoza, Rio de Lisco, and Rio Mendoza over El Faraón, Masacre, and Mucho Cota by qualification. And MS1, Perotto Morgan and Satanico, Los Infernales over Cien Caras, Mascar Año 2000 in Tineblas, where Cien and Mascar Año 2000 betrayed Tineblas, who uh, Cus fan notes here is not long for this group. Well, no big loss there uh-huh. in that case, believe me. So, um, so there's that. We have Arena Puebla on August the 31st. So, uh, we don't do a lot of arena playable uh, lineups, so here but we got a big match in the main event. Juan Pablo Juarez over Sucuro Negro. Baby Richard and Polaris 2 over Beto Robles and Pegaso 2. Franco Colombo and Torrente over Solar 2 and Stuka. Mascar and Realisco Jr. teamed up to beat La Fiera and Mochocota. And then Atlantis retained his Mexican national middleweight title going to a draw with Panico. Hmm. Sponica getting a big match here on uh, on a show in Puebla. So how about that? Future uh, booker of uh, CMLL years yeah. later. Hey, you know, um, this is stuff that, I mean, this is an era that you, we don't hardly have any of. So yeah. it's a shame. All right, UWA, which we have nothing of. Uh, they ran at Torreo de Cuatro Caminos on September the 1st. We have Reina Gallegos and Vicky Carranza over La Briosa and La Venus. Azifan Negro, Black Man, and El Vagabundo over El Bronco, Araque Satara, and Romano Garcia. 
Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, en el brazo, over Cien Caras, el signo en el tejano para disqualification. Io de Santo retained the UWA lightweight title, uh, oh, excuse me, won it back, beating Aristoteles. Hmm. Great name. And Fishman Paraguayo defeated Kaneka in Cobarde, number two, by disqualification. Fishman replaced Cien Caras and feuded with Cobarde. Mastra towards the end, foul involved, so there's that. And nothing about where uh, Negro Navarro is that Cien uh, had to replace him. No. So, there's International. All right, it is time for halftime. So, after some great 1985 commercials, we'll pivot to halftime, where we'll talk about our new Patreon show again and talk about all that. We'll uh, talk about IWTV. We'll have a private internet access, of course, talk about other stuff. And then Lenny will be back with us as we'll go to Jim Carr Promotions and talk about all of the damn titles they got going on at this point in time. Superstar Billy Graham, is he going back to WF? Rick Flair and Nikita Koloff having a big battle on television. Battle of the Belts in Florida, World Class Labor Day, Star Wars, all that and more after the break. We'll return to Puff the Magic Dragon after these messages. Wake up, guys. We got work to do. We do? Well, I've got to get out the morning edition. And we've got to get out the breakfast edition. What's it say? Snap, crackle, pop. What else? Snap, it's the snappiest sound to do. You gotta get cracking when crackle comes through. There's no stopping once pop is popping. Snap, crackle, pop, talking just to you. Sounds good. Kellogg's Rice Krispies, the talking part of this complete breakfast. Mmm, good work, guys. When it comes to breakfast, we deliver. <laughs> It started as most wars do, with a minor incident. Coke, Pepsi. And today has escalated into the sheer silliness known as the Cola Wars. Coke is better. Pepsi's better. Why all the fuss? Especially when there's the crisp, refreshing taste of 7-Up. You see, there's no cola like the Un-Cola. 7-Up, the Un-Cola. We now return to Puff the Magic Dragon. We'll return to Puff the Magic Dragon after these messages. Try extra sugar-free gum with NutraSweet. Extra flavor, extra fun in a sugar-free gum. Extra sugar-free gum with NutraSweet gives you extra refreshing flavor that lasts an extra, extra, extra long time. Extra flavor for that extra long haul. Extra, the extra fresh flavor lasts an extra, extra, extra long time. Get extra sugar-free gum. They're really quaking in Frisco and Philadelphia, PA. Quaker chewy granola is a snack for today. Quaker goodness and great taste have made Quaker Chewy Granola Bars America's favorite. Come on, get Quakers! We now return to Puff the Magic Dragon. We'll return to Puff the Magic Dragon after these messages. Forget your books, Ed. No homework. Where's all your stuff? In my Flex 3 notebook. What's a Flex 3? A notebook with three expandable pockets to hold a full day's work and keep it organized. 
A three-subject wire bound, too. And a Velcro closure. Let her rip. You stuff all that in that skinny notebook. It's light enough to carry anywhere. Heavyweights know how to travel light. Good grades, team captain, and now this. The Flex 3 notebook. Also, the Flex 3 carry-all with three expandable pockets and Velcro closure. Made by Mead, of course. Bill is a camping man. His camper rides to a taste surprise. Two scoops of plum juicy raisins in Kellogg's Raisin Bran. Kitchen a tent is the plan. He's learning now, but he's thinking how he loves two scoops and golden flakes of bran. Two scoops! Let's go back again! Yeah! He can't resist the tasty miss. Kellogg's Raisin Bran. Part of this complete breakfast. Keeping you informed, bringing you fair, accurate news. For Dan Rather, it's more than a job, it's his responsibility. For the news you can trust, turn to the experience you'll find every weeknight on the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. When it's important, America turns to CBS News. We now return to Puff the Magic Dragon. All right, we're back. I've been enjoying those great 1985 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We'll begin talking about Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, the latest show dropped over the past few days as we uh, put it, released part one of our two-part look at the negotiations uh, uh, for the sale of World Championship Wrestling in the year 2000. Of course, we did the 2001 stuff with Fusion last year. And this is the prequel to that. So that just went up. And um, very interesting show. A lot of ways. Of course, you heard the big plug at the beginning of the show. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, we have a lot of stuff that's not talked about in the newsletters. And, well, such as interviews and trades and stuff like that. And then we have, uh, you know, again, the, the realization, you know, about what would have happened if WWF at the time bought WCW in October 2000 and how different the wrestling world would be. And uh, it would be, be completely different. Who knows how different it would have been, but it would be completely different. So we'll go, we talk about that in depth and we talk about, you know, Mandalay sports and what was really going on and the early version of probably Fusion involved as well. And was there a split in Mandalay and all this other stuff and, it's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, denials and a lot of uh, you know mixed stories going on here, which is always good for these types of shows to have people, you know, getting their uh, stories crossed up. So we got that and a lot of other stuff. So yeah, very very interesting show for you uh, you folks that are uh, WWE fans or even you know just just love hearing. Uh, this type of uh, radio show that that we do on the on the Patreon show, so five dollars a month gets you access to that, plus all the other shows that we've done in our near six full years of the Patreon, and there's a lot of shows there. And yeah, you uh, go ahead and go and get get on the ground floor because we got part two this month, and we got various shows definitely in the rest of the year. So uh, definitely want to get in right now if you haven't gotten in already. 25, well, excuse me, a dollar. We'll start with that dollar amount. Gives you access to the Discord thanks to this segment, which we'll do in just a minute. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, make sure that uh, you have two shows in your mind because there's a chance that the show you want may have already been picked. 
or maybe something that we've already done. So it's always good to have two uh, options. And uh, if you have any questions about which what you want to do, then get with one of us, and uh, we'll uh, get it figured out. And follow the protocol on the Patreon website, of course, in doing that as well. But we definitely want to uh, make sure that you get the show that you want done the best we can. And like I said, we have a calendar. We already have uh, weeks on the calendar for this year and next year. So uh, definitely want to... Uh, Get in early because we do have the 30-day rule, but it's always good to get in early. Make sure you get your week reserved that you want us to do. Yes, and we do have some stuff in October that uh, you and I haven't talked about yet, but that we know we're doing because uh, there are some good picks that people put down for for that. Um, well, I'll see it eventually. So Yes. <laughs> at this point, yeah, at this point, I just realized I, we don't always need to go over them among each other unless they're insane, but – well, the thing is, is we want to make sure that it's something that we haven't done already. Well, other than that, yes, of course. But so. but anyway, yeah, so again, you know all the rules, 30-day rules in effect, Tenue, to get that information in, tenure rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline, all that stuff, and you should be good to go to get your show done. $50 slash you send in for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. Up to you. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, we have some controversy here. As uh, This is the part of the show we're supposed to read our new and or returning patrons, but Patreon being kind of wonky today. Yeah, it, you know, we're recording this on the second. I did the usual do the withdrawal after it says everyone's pledges are processed on the first. And it shows a balance since then of more new patrons than it says signed up. So yeah, <laughs> so I don't know why that is. I'm assuming we actually have five new, five or six new patrons, but it only lists one. Well, since it only lists one, let's thank the one that we have. That would be the returning Sean Emily. Thank you, Sean. And uh, all you other ones that have done it and may, didn't have your names mentioned, either new patrons or returning patrons, we do thank you. And hopefully next week we'll be able to rectify that and uh, be able to uh, thank you by your name. Yes. So, and uh, I'm guessing it's whatever is they did with the new interface might have fucked something up. At, cause they, I mean, I'll give you an example. At least in the podcast app I use, AntennaPod on Android. I would never see the show image in the Patreon shows, despite the fact that I put it in the way you always put in the images in those. Uh, since they updated the interface on the website and whatever other changes they made, now once I refresh the feed, I see all of the show images for the Patreon shows. So there, there's something that? funky going on. Yeah, always fucking something up when you try to yes. update these things. So there you go. Yes, and we should have, of course, our uh, free preview clip at the end of the show, although we haven't decided on what it is yet. But anyway, patreon.com slash between the sheets. We thank all the patrons, new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have come along the way. We thank all of you for your support. All right, Bix, IWTV, what's going on there this week? Bunch of live streams coming up on IWTV. Um... I guess go to that first before we look at some of the VOD. Um, ETU returns with their third show, Expect the Unexpected Wrestling, which is, as what are we calling it? We're calling it the Struggles is promotion, calling it a spinoff of ICW. I don't know exactly what you call it, but that 
I don't know why I said that instead of they. They have a return. They have their return on Friday the ninth at eight Eastern in Newark at the Hart Ballroom. That is becoming a kind of a go-to indie venue in the area. Uh, advertised matches include a four-way match in the Key to the East Coast Championship Tournament. Uh, with Akira taking on Alec Price, John Wayne Murdoch, and Speedball Mike Bailey. And also in the tournament, first round is a singles match between Marcus Mathers and his trainer, Matt Tremont. And also advertised, uh, one of the first uh, indie dates we're seeing from the Dragon Gate guys who have come to North America lately, as there's going to be a Dragon Gate spotlight match between SP Kento and La Estrella. And also our dear friends, Violence is Forever, uh, Dominic Greeny and Kevin Koo are on the card, although I believe their uh, originally announced match from months ago is not taking place, among other things. I know Scoot Andrews and others are advertised as well. Did you mute yourself? Yes, you did. I wasn't a spit in the talk. <laughs> I thought you'd say something about I'm there. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but any, what you do. <laughs> I thought you'd say something second. about Tom and Koo or Scoot Andrews. I don't know. But anyway, that's ETU. Uh, there is an SOS wrestling show. Also Friday night, which that is 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific. And Wait, so where are they running? Yeah, so this is in the Tacoma area. Cabana Man Dan work in the West Coast in the main event. Going for their title against Steve Meigs. That's interesting. Wouldn't have expected to see that. Good for CMD. Uh, GCW has the third Settlement Series show this Saturday, September 10th at 2 p.m. Eastern from Boonton, New Jersey. So who knows what's on that? I think they, they've started advertising for the second show that has happened by the time people listen to this, but not as we record this yet. And then uh, ICW No Holds Barred has a show on Saturday at 8 Eastern. That includes uh, Joel Bateman defending the American Deathmatch Championship against Casey Kirk. Uh, uh, yeah, international flavor on the show because we got Matt Tremont against Big F and Joe from the I believe who I believe is from the UK. John Wayne Murdoch versus Hoodfoot and more. Uh, I opened that one twice. There is a Sean Henderson presents show on Sunday at four Eastern, which includes. <laughs> okay. I thought this was a four-way. It's just that the line was not offset. The main event is a barbed wire match between Colby Carino and Joel Bateman. Then the co-main is two Cold Scorpio versus the Chad. For a second, I thought that was a four-way, which would have been a, among the weirder four-way matches. But also, uh, Matt Tremont, Brandon Kirk, uh, Lucky 13 versus Casey Carrington, Riley Rose, Marcus Mathers, and more. And that's it as far as live streams for this week. And then also, uh, other than just the usual previous live stream editions as well as the new uh, Life of with Cole Radrick going up as well as I think, oh, the uh, LVAC show, which we didn't talk about because I guess because it's a new building they didn't they didn't advertise the live stream in advance. There's also some CZW and AIW archival added. Uh, let's see, go with some 2016 AIW here, Chris? Sure, I guess so. Why not? Sure, sure, why not? So that, in boy, does that include a few wrestlers whose name I don't, names I don't want to mention, but it also includes uh, Josh Prohibition versus Ethan Page for the Absolute Championship, Shayna Baszler defending the women's title against uh, the current Ruby Soho, the f former Heidi Lovelace, at the time Heidi Lovelace, Grado versus Colt Cabana, uh, 
Gringo Loco and Steve Payne versus Two Infinity and Beyond versus the Jollyville Fuckets. Dan Severn versus Eddie Kingston. Candice LeRae versus Brick Baker. Uh, Dominic Greeny versus BJ Whitmer and more. And there are a few other old uh, IW shows up there too. And there's also some CZW. I'll pick one at random here. Or semi-random at least. Let's go older. Let's go to... Let's go to the oldest one here, because there's something from 06. So there's Down With the Sickness Forever, a tribute to Chris Cash. And that includes, let's see, Ladder Match, Dark Frazier versus Ruckus. Chris Hero versus Eddie Kingston for the CCW World Heavyweight title. Jigsaw versus Hollow Wicked. Sexy Eddie versus Sanjay Dutt for the Junior Heavyweight title. Sexy Eddie was a Junior Heavyweight? Okay. Messiah versus Alter Boy Luke and more. Oh! Should have mentioned this too. B-Boy versus Claudio Castagnoli. So some very good older indie stuff going up on ITV TV right now. And of course, if you are not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up. And we will get a referral fee for each month you remain a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data many times even selling it. The private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, Advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked. Get this, folks. It was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. Amazing. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. So let's go to that, shall we? Yes, we have a great set of deals here. We got three of them. You get the first one is a straight monthly plan of $11.95. You can go yearly. That's the second plan. That's $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year. Or you could take advantage of the best deal, 83% off. Three years, four free months, $1.98 a month, $79 for the three years. That is an amazing, amazing bargain, folks. And it's only for you, Between the Sheets listeners. So much more expensive than virtually every other VPN in the market. And if you get it right now, you can take uh, Private Internet Access's 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash sheets. And try out the best damn VPN on the planet. Completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1993. We got the uh, big plug at the end of the show. So listen to that for more in-depthness. But uh, on the show next week, we got WCW. We got news on uh, the future of the NWA World Heavyweight title in that company. And it ain't good. We got the uh, end of Big Van Vader, so to speak. And he's on Sid and other WCW Everybody moments. As this is quite the era for that. 
Uh, Japan, we got New Japan versus War going on. That's always fun to talk about. Mexico, AAA is doing big business. Got a lot of stuff going on. And we'll talk about all that stuff uh, going on there. Uh, America, we got Todd Gordon and Eddie Gilbert having a falling out in Eastern Championship Wrestling. Always interesting subject there. Terry Funk with a wild promo on uh, Smoky Mountain Television. Me- Memphis, Vincent Mann on Memphis Television. And uh, an interesting angle with, Bro- angle with Brian a- uh, Christopher and Tony Adams. Almost said Brian Adams. And a wild TV taping in Las Vegas for a promotion that probably never aired. Uh, and then we got the World Wrestling Federation where we got news on uh, a story that dropped in the New York Observer about the WF and one Anthony Valenti. We'll talk about that. A tag title change on Raw. Doink the Clown throwing some more on Bobby Heenan. And a whole lot more next week with Black Label Pro's Mikey Blanton rejoining us on the show. And he's fresh off a big weekend of shows for him. So he should have a lot to talk about there. So that's next week on Between the Sheets. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, you had some stuff that uh, dropped recently. So go ahead and talk about that. Which one should I start with, Chris? Well, you did one thing on one uh, CM Punk. Yes, so that was the most recent one. My last thing now at Fanbyte is they are dropping all of their non-video game content. Uh, just, you know, try to unpack going into the Go Home episode of Dynamite. What exactly they were trying to do with the Punk Moxley thing, how we got there, etc. So that's the most recent thing there. And then also before that last week, I tried to... Uh, Report out all sides of the uh, the heat on Thunder Rosa and various people's feelings on that. So that's also there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much more we should say about that right now. But it, it, here's what I do find interesting, though. Like, it seems like there is zero middle ground on her. Either it's people no. that think she's this awesome mother hen, or she's this malcontent who's going around breaking faces and stuff. I mean, I do think it's interesting that her injury changed this week. Uh, yeah, there is that. <laughs> that she, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, I don't. I don't think she's faking anything. I don't think well, anyone I really does. Anything. No, I'm just. I don't. Th- I'm not saying you are. I'm just making it clear. I don't think she's faking anything. Um, but it's very weird how she went on busted open and said it was her back, and the reports were that it was her back. And then she told Conan that it's her knee. Who knows? Yes. Isn't it amazing to you, Conan? Conan talking about how inaccurate the dirt sheets are? Yeah. Yeah. Well, another of all thing, the people. Another, yeah. Another thing, too, is that uh, whether you like him, you don't like him, CM Punk's the biggest draw they got. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's been, that's been proven these last two weeks. Yeah. So there you go. Again, it's fact. The facts are there. No numbers don't lie. So there you go. But anyway, go check Bix's stuff out there. All right. Well, that's it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, Lenny's back with us, and let's go to the East Coast, Eastern side of things. Let's start with Jim Clark Promotions. And Dave says, "I can't keep track of all the belts, nor do I want to. So if I say none changed hands since last week." Jim Crockett promotions had a lot of freaking belts at this time. You had your 
your, your, your world title, U.S. title, TV title. You had your world tag titles. You had your national heavyweight title, your national tag titles. Your light heavyweight title. title. Mid-Atlantic heavyweight title. Yeah, there's a lot of title belts. The Ring of on. Honor Pure Championship, <laughs> the IWGP Tag Team Championships, the Rev I Pro mean, British Heavyweight Championship. I mean, we, and well, all elite wrestling is going through that now with all their titles. But, Lenny, yeah. where do you stand on this, uh, you know, regarding titles? I mean, as an announcer, you're, you, know, you need to put over the title importance. But when you have so many titles, that kind of makes it hard with some of these secondary titles to make them seem that important, doesn't it? If everybody's a champ, nobody's a champ. Yeah, absolutely. You get some. There has to be a pecking order, right? You can't just have belts for the sake of of having belts to make people better than make them appear better than than they are, higher up in the pecking order than they may be. Uh, it's just it's it's too much. It's too much. It just it waters everything down. And even if you focus the most attention on your world title it still waters it down by just by association having so many other belts underneath it, or it just, it, it doesn't give you the desired effect, right? If you're, if you have these belts to make people seem better or more important, but there's so many of them that people don't care about any of them, then yeah. you really didn't accomplish your goal in the first place. So it, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. You're better off just having people all fight to want to be the world champ. Maybe one secondary belt underneath it. You know, your U.S. or Intercontinental, that's fine. But, you know, I don't think you need all of those other belts, especially at this point when Crockett's trying to start becoming less of a regional promotion and really trying to branch out a little bit more to have all of those smaller belts like the Mid-Atlantic title and the and you know the western then they come back and they bring the western states heritage title it just it, it just dilutes the desired effect to where it's there, there's very little return on the investment and then yeah. you end up dropping them anyway so what's the point of having them i think the only point at this time was you know they had picked up the georgia titles and they were still running a georgia loop but that's about to stop around this time period. So if, if whenever you're stopping running a Georgia loop, you don't need titles like that anymore. Go ahead and combine them up, yep. you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's a problem. It's to me, championships can be a problem sometimes. What is the total at this point for Crockett? Uh, yeah, I, I, I gave them all out. I so mean, you no, got, numerically. You got World US TV National, oh, World US TV National, and light heavyweight singles, Mid-Atlantic. That's six singles titles and two sets of tag titles. So that's eight. For the record, right now, AEW, in terms of AEW control titles, so that's basically the AEW titles, the FTW title, and the ROH titles has 13. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> and that's not counting the AAA tag titles, the IWGV tag titles, the IWGV US For three US hours of title. television and, 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 and there are two streaming shows, yeah. Which titles don't get defended on there? Well, well, no, they do. The well, Atlantic rarely. title's been defended on the... Well, that's because it was on indie shows, but still. On oh, that, well, shows. Yes. Oh, yes. Don't, also, don't forget uh, the Wave title that uh, Sheeta was defending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, All I mean, right. Once I get, they've got to try and keep them alive long enough to yeah. make it feel... But yeah. yeah, all of the all the other stuff like the I, I personally didn't even like the FTW title when ECW was around. So let let alone <laughs> let alone 25, 30 years later. So 
Yeah. Dave also said, I can't believe how much Terry, how much worse Terry Taylor looks here compared to Mid-South. Well, it's presentation. I mean, in Mid-South, Terry Taylor is presented as, you know, the top babyface single star other than Duggan. Heartthrob. Yeah. Heartthrob. Here, he's a guy. He's just a guy, you know, and presentation goes a long way, Lenny, and, you know, and making the talent, you know, perceptions reality in a lot of ways. Yeah, and and they really positioned him horribly when they brought him in as a heel against Nikita, who literally just squashed him to death. Uh, and he was a big deal even as a heel in in Mid South. But one, once they unified those two titles a couple of years later, uh, they made him look even worse. So Dave, Dave may want to look back on this one and see how much better he looked here than he did two years later. <laughs> well, he he ain't pissed Dusty off yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. He pissed Dusty off at the end of this run, and that's what uh, reflected on him on the other run. <laughs> is the airplane story the end of this run? Yes, it's the end of the 85 run. Where he yeah. does the impression not knowing that Dusty has his the music in his headphones turned off. Yes. <laughs> Tremendous. But, I mean, Terry, he gets a national heavyweight title, but, yeah, I mean, he's pigeonholed. He's basically pigeonholed a few with Black Bart and Buddy Landell. And that's it, you know? And it's... You know, he's basically mid-card at best. So, yeah, it's not main events mid-south, absolutely. Superstar Billy Graham is going to go back to WF, but has decided to stay as Crockett is going to turn him babyface as he has gone back to the wild colors again. Bad to the bone there of Superstar Billy Graham. And it's definitely interesting to watch because he's Kung Fu Billy Graham, and then he starts growing, I mean, growing his beard out, and it's blonde. And then he starts, all of a sudden, here comes the psychedelic colors, and he's still a heel, but he starts slapping hands with the fans, and basically he just turns babyface without really turning, in a way, and then all of a sudden he says, I'm not doing business with Paul Jones anymore. And that's how he turns babyface, but I guess he wanted, I mean, I, I don't blame him, I want to go back to WF2 at this point in time, what we just talked about earlier in the show, well, how much business they're doing, and he would have been at this point, I mean, he's no not a great worker, not a good worker, but still, you as uh, superstar Billy Graham to that mix in 1985, I think that would have been a big deal for WWF Lenny to bring him back in in that era. Yeah, I mean, you you could have slotted him on either side, you know, babyface or heel in the in the upper mid of, of either one of those sides uh, when they got to the point. I don't know if you would have trusted him enough, you know, if they started doing split house shows to have him on top anywhere, but. Uh, I, I, you could, you know, definitely get some decent programs out of them, but you just, at, at this point in time, you got to wonder how he would hold up to a WWE schedule though. Yeah. More flying. Yeah. 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 Cause he was in the midst of his issues again around this time frame too, and throw, throw their travel schedule and their work schedule onto it. And who knows what happens at that point. Absolutely. All right, let's go down some house shows. Richmond, Richmond Coliseum, August 30th. Little Coco over Cowboy Lang. Barbarian over Sam Houston. Betty Landell over Starship Eagle. Dan Spivey. Rock and Rolls over uh, Ivan and Crusher in a 90-minute time limit match for the tag titles. Bunkhouse match. Dusty, Magnum, and Ron Bass over Tully and the Andersons. And then Ric Flair against the Keita Koloff. No result listed for the NBA World title. That's Charlotte, weird. Charlotte, well, that happens sometimes. Charlotte Coliseum. 
August 31st, front of 10,000 fans. Joel Deaton over Mark Fleming. Denny Brown, go to a draw with Pat Tanaka. Junior title probably is on the line there. Arn over Sam Houston. Rocket Rolls and Jimmy Fallon over all three Russians by DQ. Dusty over Ole in a bunkhouse match. Charlie retained U.S. title over Magnum. And Ric Flair retained the World Cup title, beating Buddy Landell in 25 minutes. So it's like a hell of a match there. Is this the and famous this is, one that were they talking no, about? The that's big Raleigh. Okay. That's Raleigh. Yeah, Raleigh Arena. Dortmund Where Arena. they set the what was it? The building record for the game. And Buddy walked out with a belt. Yeah. Now this is what well, we talk about the Georgia Loop. The other crew ran Columbus, Columbus, Georgia, Minnesota, Minnesota August thirty first. Mike Davis going to a draw with Rocky King, Tommy Lane over Mike Samani. Pistol Pest while they worked twice, beating Nick Busick and Kevin Sullivan. Black Bart retained Nash Heavyweight title beating Terry Taylor. And then the main event was Buzz and Brett Sawyer teaming with the Italian Stallion to beat the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette by countout. And we're just a few weeks away from the two territories being completely merged. Yes. Greensboro, September 1st, Coliseum. We had the Rising Suns. That would be Kendo Nagasaki and Testoshi Goto under mask, beating Stony Burke and Pistol Pest Watley. Joel Deaton over Hard Rock Ricky Reeves. Little Coco over Cowboy Lang. Abdul the Butcher going to a draw with Manny Fernandez. Tully Blanchard retained the U.S. title, beating Terry Taylor. So Terry gets U.S. title match here. And Rock and Rolls retained World Tag Titles over Ivan and Crusher. While so, the other. Cr- before you get to the Omni. Yes. Here's here's my question about this Greensboro show. Yes. How long of a time limit was that Abdullah Manny draw? Because <laughs> I'm guessing it was, it was than, no contest. Be, it's probably yeah, I was it's gonna say, because yeah. if it was more than ten minutes, one of them <laughs> would have died from blood loss. No doubt in my mind. At the, at the time, like newspapers, when they would they would call something a draw. It'd be double DQ, yeah. no contest, <laughs> double count out. Yeah, I, oh yeah, I, I believe me. It's not, they're not going 60. That's for damn <laughs> sure. And then the Omni, the other crew, 12,000 fans, Superstar Billy Graham over Sam Houston, Barbarian over Starship Eagle, Betty Land over Italian Stallion, Ron Bass over Black Bart by DQ, Bart retained the National title, Midnight's over Sawyers and Jimmy Valiant. Dusty Magnum over the Andersons and a lumberjack match for the NWA Heavyweight title. Ric Flair retained over Nikita Koloff. Well, I think there's your answer as to why Billy Graham wanted to go back to WWF. He's <laughs> jerking the curtain against Sam Houston in front of 12,000 people. <laughs> yeah, while he's trying to turn babyface, he's, he's working a babyface. At least he went over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so speaking of Flair and Nikita. The night before on World Championship Wrestling, they had a hot angle. So let, uh, Ivan Koloff is uh, at ringside doing a commentary for, I think, a match with Nikita. So let's go to uh, Ivan and then Ric Flair showing up, and then all hell's about to break loose. Just a moment, we will see Nikita Koloff in the ring, and Ivan is with us here at ringside to talk about that match. Nikita Koloff, he is an awesome force, but we're talking about the world heavyweight champion. He's the best in all the world. Well, you are going to see in a few seconds here why Ric Flair has been avoiding Nikita Koloff. Why Ric Flair, every time he hears the name Nikita Koloff, he gets chilled all over. Why Ric Flair is very reluctant to sign any contract whenever Nick Nikita Koloff's name is mentioned. Why? Because he knows Nikita Koloff has more power than he has, has more wrestling ability than this Ric Flair. And he knows, Ric Flair, that it's just a matter of time before Nikita Koloff will destroy him and take world title away from him. Let's go to the ring. 
And there he goes. <laughs> you see the kid, he doesn't waste any time. Just keep it playing, Dick. You see this player? You don't have a chance. You may as well stay back in the shadows. Talk to it. Rick Flair's here. I'm going downstairs, and I'm sick and tired of you running your mouth. Give me a call. I'm telling you right now. Get out of the way, Tony. I'm sick and tired of you running your mouth. Nikita Koloff don't mean nothing to me. You don't mean nothing. This is America. We do what we want to do. We want to get dressed up pretty. We get dressed up pretty. We want to wear blue jeans. We wear blue jeans. We want to go out and go look at women. We go out and go look at women. This is America. We're man of the year. Let's play. We're not afraid of you. Of the year. You're going Take to find out that you're not bad enough. You know, I made that comment a couple weeks ago that I just might make him my personal gardener. I'm looking for a chauffeur. And if you want a job driving my car around, <laughs> you are hired right now. Don't you insult me, McFlair. No, Don't you insult the name you of Gordon. Right you got you a problem. problem. You want to get this resolved. Why don't you and I come over here right now, huh? You want to get resolved? Come out there, man. You want to get this resolved? Come on, buddy. Come on. Come on. My goodness. Nikita Koloff from behind, David. He got the champion from behind. And now he is ripping off his... He's ripping off that suit of his. Of course he is. Oh, my goodness. He's ripping his clothes right off. And this is happening right in front of us. Nikita Koloff is taking Ric Flair to the ring. You see Ric Flair there now. You see this Ric Flair there now. That's where he belongs. That's where he's going to be. He got it from behind. He got it from behind. Somebody out and insult the Koloff family. This is what happened to Now you watch what Nikita is going to do to this Ric Flair. He's going to tear him apart. How do you like it, Ric Flair? <laughs> now this is what I call wrestling. Dusty having Ric Flair up. Held the champion up. And now Ric Flair slowly, slowly back to his feet. And there you see he picks up his coat. Don't you tell me nothing. That show's not over yet. Call off. Just a minute of your time. You see now, get over here and hold this. I got something to say. And you listen to this. This is America! If I want to get dressed up, it's my privilege! I work hard to get where I am! If I want to brag, it's my right! This is not a communist country! We are men, women, and we're proud! Come here! And call us! 
you or no one else are going to come out here tearing up my suit. Don't mean nothing. I got closet for But for the insult of jumping on me, Debbie, go out the next time I see you. If God is my witness, you'll be mine. All right. We talked about this when we did um, 89 a few weeks ago, Lenny, is that the Ric Flair, the Ric Flair of that era, he's still Nate, but as a baby face. And he's Nate here as a baby face. And it's such a different thing because when he was in Crockett, in traditional Crockett territory, he was a baby face. He was kind of like a, you know, soft-spoken, I won't say mild manner, but soft-spoken baby-faced Ric Flair, more serious. Here, he's Nate, he's going crazy. I mean, this is the type of baby-faced he could have been more often in his career. You know, he talks about how he hated playing baby-faced because uh, he couldn't do it good. Well, he did it pretty damn good in here and did it pretty damn good in 1989, I thought. Yeah, I think he, I think he just needed the right opponents to be able to do it like long term uh in in short bursts though with the right guy he really showed that he could be that fiery you know not exactly a southern baby face but uh he could have that still hot tempered rick flair enraged interview style that you know rather than make you want to see him get his ass kicked make you see him want to kick someone's ass Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Nikita was that guy. And yeah, I mean, th- th- this was a strong feud in Atlanta. Very strong feud. And it was, it was strong in other places too. But um, of course, you know, they had to do the turn a month later to set up Starcade. But something, I mean, Ric Flair as this character had had legs to it. Yeah. I mean, we should remind everyone that. At this point, when he's on TBS, he's – do you call him a tweener, and do you call him who, someone who's sometimes a heel, he's sometimes a, heel, a baby face? He's a, he's a heel here, but when he's feeding Nikita, he's a baby face. Right. He, Which is the fact, though, baby face because he's the American against the Russian in the middle. Exactly. Of the right, 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 right. I, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Exactly. You're exactly right, yep. Except if they're chasing ransom lives of TikTok, but that's a different Oh, thing. boy. See, I, see, I could have made the Chase and Ranch joke earlier for the most precious blood youth center. Oh, Jesus I did, Christ. I didn't. I didn't, and now here you are. Low-hanging fruit, thanks. It's not low-hanging uh, fruit to see that I don't want to – that it's kind of weird to – I don't – I think that's a case where you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but where was I going with – oh, I though – and maybe it's also because I think his in-ring is better. I like – Early '80s babyface flair more than Nature's babyface flair. I mean, as a as a worker, yeah, but as far as as character, I like that other character. The, like, I can't. Well, I think they do, it. but still, I, I think it's such so different. Well, then also he turns into Nature though in big moments, like when he comes back with the two by four attacking Wharton and Slater. He's Nature. Yeah, but. But it's, I mean, it always worked well. I, I can't think of a time it doesn't work when he's a babyface as, you know, as, as Nate or even as the other character. I mean, I can see, 
I can see why you wouldn't think the non-Nate version would work nationally, granted. But anytime he yeah. does it nationally as the more fired up Nate character, like it works. Yeah. So it's it's clearly just a personal preference on his part. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the mid-Atlantic kind of soft-spoken baby face always came off to me like he was just trying to be Jack Briscoe instead of Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Right? I never, I never got behind that soft-spoken flair as much as I did the the Nate flair. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's stay in George, but in a different motion. Ant Gunkel promoted an all-south show on August 31st in Calhoun, Georgia, drawing 600 fans on a main event of Port Chop Cash and Mr. Wrestling 2 against Randy Rose and Doug Summers. And even has got El Mongol to come out of retirement to work here. Gunkel still has TV on WGNX Channel 46 in Atlanta, but she isn't taping any new matches at the moment, and is still showing matches from their first taping along with classic matches from the 70s all-south. Freddie Miller, who has broken off from her, is threatened to sue her if she doesn't quit using his voice on television. Freddie, along with Charlie Smith, Tommy Rich, and Nick Patrick, all quit over bounce checks. Yeah, I wish we had this TV because they were showing all more seventies all South matches that is not in existence right now. But yeah, I mean this this promotion is about to come to an end, and the Georgia independent scenes are really about to start opening up after all South ends. But uh, yeah, we, we I mean there's a little bit of this around and uh, on YouTube. It's an interesting little thing to watch, but. Yeah, I mean, as an announcer, and if you leave a promotion and they're used still using your voice, I mean, Lenny, you think Freddie Miller had any legal recourse here? Uh, I don't know. If I did, I'd probably have gotten some money out of Ring of Honor for all these years. But, <laughs> but it's funny. I, I only had a contract with ROH in 07 and 08, the pay-per-view years. The other three years I was there, 05, 06, 09, uh, were all a handshake deal. So the two years I was under contract, they had the rights to whatever I did in perpetuity. But the other three years, I guess if I wanted to pursue it, I could say that I never signed my rights away and that they were, you know, I got paid for a one-time use and for one for those DVDs. But if they're going to repurpose it, uh, they would have to pay me kind of like Jesse did with Vince when they repurposed his voice and other things and he didn't get paid. So he sued for it. Um, I would think in that instance, Freddie might've had a, might've had a, a claim if he wanted to pursue it. Although I don't know what he would have gotten from her if she was bouncing checks on everybody else. I mean, what? Yeah, not good. For? Not good. So I, I think it's, you know, is, is the juice worth the squeeze at that point? I'd say <laughs> probably not. Um, but I always do get a pop out of pork chop cash and makes me think of my, my youngest son, Vince, probably right after I first started working at the, the bank I work for now, they gave us like these plastic little piggy banks to take home and give the kids. And I, and I gave one to him and he was maybe five at the time. And he's, I'm like, you're going to name the, or so what are you going to name him? And he said, pork chop cash. And like, <laughs> he'd, never it. he'd never seen wrestling or, or any, definitely had never seen, you know, all South wrestling or anything like that. So he had no familiarity with it. It just literally was the name that he came up with off the top of his head. And That's every time I that name, it pops me. That's fantastic. I gotta think that that much. That makes me wonder now, though, if that was like culturally anywhere a nickname anyone gave piggy banks, and that's where the name came from. I I think it was just. I doubt it. it. No, I think it was just a pig, and pigs are 
you know, you eat pork chops and you put your cash in it. I think. Well, that's more what I mean. If I don't, I don't mean yeah, that just, your son didn't come up with it on his own. I mean yeah, more like him, if other people made it. Mind. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no. If it had ever been a thing anywhere else, just with the I same wonder. thought process. Yeah. Could be. I mean, I can tell you where. I mean, Bobby Cash. I mean, pork chop. That's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, black folks love pork chops. So he's pork chop cash. There you go. Okay. He's probably nicknamed pork chop as a kid. Who knows? Yeah. So with the right, um, well, real quick, I was say with the announcer thing though too. I remember this ain't the only time it's happened in '85 because there's the whole thing with the attempt to run opposition to Continental with uh, the ICW tapes that still have Soli on them while Soli's in Continental. Yeah, you're right. All right, speaking of Soli, let's go change the rest from Florida. Wrestling's first attempt to syndicate a live wrestling card through commercial television took place on September the 2nd, Labor Day, in Tampa, with Battle of the Belts. The show went into 15 markets, syndicated through Hubbard Broadcasting. Dave was told they were literally giving the show away, so he doesn't think it was a financial success. TV Tokyo taped the entire card. Thus, Stan Hansen wrestled as if he were in Japan, and Dave heard he worked harder than normal. Rip Martell, who's playing Cutting the Ride due to a hurricane in Florida that night, and believe it or not, this excuse was legit, was supposed to wrestle Nick Botwinkle, but was replaced by Frank Lang, a.k.a. Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. And they built it as an AWA title match, too. <laughs> Actually, wait so, a second. Isn't that wrong? I thought it's Cowboy Frankie Lane who he wrestles. No, it's Frank Lane. Frankie Lane. And it's Frank Lancaster? Okay. Yes. He's local. Um, a newspaper report listed the crowd at 5,000, but Dave was told that was an exaggeration. 3,000 was closer to accurate. Part of the reason for the small crowds because it was televised live in Tampa in very poor weather conditions. By the way, in the same building two weeks earlier, WF drew 9,335. David incorrectly reported a much smaller number for their Tampa debut, which sold out 30 minutes before match time. Well, I mean, Lenny, you know about wrestling in Tampa. Um, weather can definitely cause uh, an effect on uh, some crowds, possibly, for uh, not well, being at shows. Wrestling in Tampa in a hurricane on the campus of the University of South Florida not only happened during Battle of the Belts, that was the night of the infamous FIP relaunch in oh. with Punk and Homicide wrestling in front of 50 people during a hurricane. In the, it was called the U.S. It's the Corral, which is the um, the secondary building offshoot of the Sun Dome. Wow, where, about where that. this show where this show took place. So you know, 20 years later, another hurricane hitting Florida, and wrestling was happening in that building on that campus in front of no people. <laughs> wow. I forgot about that. You're right, <laughs> man. But yeah, I mean, it, it affected the, the, um, you know, the live feed of the show at one point in time. I mean, this was, this is a very ambitious project because this has not been done before syndicated nationwide. We had it here in Atlanta. I'll never forget. I watched this show. Um, well, not just that syndicated nationwide and live. Yeah, live. So, yeah, it's live television, syndicated nationwide. And uh, if I remember correctly, the copy of this that I originally saw on VHS was a who knows how many millionth generation of a tape that was done out of somewhere in Texas. So, yeah, it was it was a big deal. It was everywhere. Yeah, it was Houston. That was on the Houston wrestling stuff. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, this is a big deal. And uh, we'll go to the yeah, it could have been big. Uh, we'll go over the car real quick. Uh, Playboy Buddy Rose opened the show, beating Bubba Douglas, although that wasn't on the uh, the show itself. 
Uh, Chavo had the Guerrero over the Grappler and Rip Oliver. Coco Samoa over Rip Rogers. Kendall Wyndham winning the Florida Heavyweight title for the first time, beating Jack Hart, Barry Horowitz. Rick Ruder over Jack Haynes. Hawk and Animal retained AWA World Tag Titles going to a no contest with Stan Hansen and Harley Race. Nick Bottwinkle over Frank Lang, so Ricky Martel, and Ric Flair retaining the World Heavyweight title beating Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, looking at YouTube, uh, at least one of the copies that's up, not just from, not just in Houston, was also in Dallas. Dallas, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was syndicated nationwide in a lot of stations. But the thing was, here's the thing about that show: it was not well lit. No, um, it did not translate like World Wrestling Federation was translating on television, and that was a thing at the time. I mean, if you're coming like this, if you're coming syndicated. You're going nationwide. You're running live. You better have your presentation down. You don't want to come off looking minor league. And compared to WF, they came off looking minor league here. Yeah, oh. it, it didn't look it didn't look any different than the shows you would see on Florida Championship Wrestling from like the Eddie Graham Sports Complex. Yes, it was the same kind of dark, single light over the ring. Can't see the crowd. Just very old timey looking. Uh, not slick wwe style for sure yeah what were you gonna say i mean it's been a long time since i've watched this i forgot that this show looked like I mean, I, this i'm it, like when i visualize battle of the belts in my head i think of the the ones at the eddie graham sports stadium they uh, look about much better this is yes. the first one though so it, it doesn't look nearly as good no now in fairness most wwf stuff does not look like what we think of being glitzy 80s wwf yet you know, they're doing yeah. good production in smaller buildings outside of Saturday Night's main event, but it's it's still this still it look it doesn't look great. No, it's it's visibly a bigger arena, but uh, not not the best presentation. And uh, I wonder if Watts had anything to do with this airing in Dallas because it says it's on a Metro Media station. Uh, station didn't he have a thing with Metro Media? Or am I confusing that with Multi Market Media? I don't remember which one, but I mean, he, I'm sure he had some involvement. It's Florida, Mike Graham. Mike Graham had just worked for him. Well, and also Watts had points. What am I thinking? Yeah. And Watts Florida. had points. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you've never seen the show, watch it. I mean, Flair and Wahoo, hell of a fucking match. Road Warriors, Hanson, and Race is interesting to watch in many ways. That match is a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, some other good stuff on the show. Ken the Windham and Jack Hart. Ken the Windham's terrible. And Dave's going to talk about that in a minute. Um, so, yeah, everybody go watch that. All right, Orlando, the night before, September 1st, had Buddy Rose beating Scotty Williams by forfeit. The jobber forfeited. How about that? Had to go out and went to a draw with Jack Hart. Grappler Rip Oliver over Coco Simone Ken to win them. Rick Rude over Frank Lang. And Billy Jack and Wahoo retained the U.S. tag titles, beating the Road Warriors by disqualification. Now, here's Dave. I finally seen Ken to win them. He is, without any doubt, the worst wrestler in terms of both physical, physical credibility and ability that I've ever seen inside of a ring. It's only fitting he's a champion in an area like this. Oof. <laughs> yes. He was not good at this point in time. He was very skinny. He was very green. You know, he was thrown to the wolves way too quickly, and you hate to see that. He, you know, it took him a while to get over it. And eventually became a good talent, but man, he suffered for a while. He he made eighteen year old Kendall made eighteen year old Barry look like one of the Road Warriors. 
he yeah. had that sunken bird chest, like gangly arms. Like it was, he he was about as unathletic a human being as you'd ever see inside a ring. Yeah. At that point. Absolutely. He was just, he was in rough shape. But I mean, he, he, he made it, he made it, he made something out of himself though in the end. So we got to give him that. All right, uh, let's continue with more. The promotion build, the Battle of Bell shows first time in history, but the NWA and AWA belts were online, on the line in the same card. Aside from the fact that the NWA champion didn't even make it, that was hardly the truth. Well, it is wrestling. You know, you got to do that. You can't acknowledge stuff that happened outside your territory. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, Rip Rogers was fired by Wahoo Daniel to complain way too much about doing a job to Coco Samoa on the show. His valet, Brenda Britton, is the ugliest lady ever described as beautiful and vivacious in the history of the English language. <laughs> okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Now, this, I, I'm not even going to get into the whether or not one would consider Dave's 1985 comments appropriate or not, but, like, the gimmick is that she's not attractive, though. The gimmick to me is she was one of the most annoying people in the history of wrestling. No, but I mean Fleabag and all that. I know, but this constant movement she made, she was so annoying to me. Anytime she popped up, I'm like, get off my screen. Well, it's the old brother. I couldn't stand it. I know, I couldn't stand it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that was getting the heat. But, like, oh, my goodness. But Rip Rogers uh, complaining about doing a job to Coco Samoa is funny. I'm sure he wouldn't complain to Coco Samoa's face about doing a job to him because he would have beat the holy shit out of him. <laughs> well, it's the 80s. He knows. Don't mess with Samoans. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Sullivan's back after being fired by Crockett. He's doing the evil devil worship routine and has Bob Roop, head and mustache, completely shaven on one side of the head as his disciple. Oh, yes, Lenny. Let's go back to Kevin Sullivan again. And the thing is, they're going to go back to him multiple times after this. Yeah, and it's the law of diminishing returns in full effect, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Can't keep going back to that well. You got lightning in a bottle once. It worked like, you know, gangbusters. It worked pretty well the second time. Once you get to the third, fourth, fifth iteration of that character, you know, everybody has seen it. It's it's over. And then it gets wilder here, too. This is the wildest it ever ever was, is in yeah. this one. I mean, it's well, just crazy. I think he realized he... he to get anybody to care, he had to keep pushing it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Where else can you go? Push that envelope more. Sire Conway Jr. and Scott McGee are also gone. Scott's in Japan working for the UWF, so he may return. Well, he doesn't. He goes to, yeah. All right, I'm, I'll change this stuff around uh, because we got Labor Day here. So we're going to go to World Class now, and they had a big Labor Day thing coming up, but we have other news to start off with. This past week, Mike Von Erich was finally removed from the intensive care unit at Baylor Hospital in Dallas-Fort Worth. His condition has been upgraded from critical to fair. He's still hospitalized, and his kidneys still aren't functioning well, so he needs regular dialysis treatment. Doctors are still uncertain over how much, if any, brain damage occurred as a result of his intense fever, reported 107, but probably in the 105-106 range, which itself is near fatal. They do expect some brain damage has been done. It's been reported that Mike was afflicted with toxic shock syndrome as a result of a staph infection resulting from his shoulder operation in August. That disease affects almost exclusively women. Only about 20 cases per year recorded in this country among men. There's a good deal of speculation that the entire truth about this case hasn't come out. 
especially when one considers brothers Dave, brother David's death in February 1984 attributed to enteritis, which is also a very rare cause of death. All right, before we get more to Dave, let's cover how the local news was covering this at the time. So uh, let's go to the clip. For wrestling hero Mike Von Erich, who's fighting for life at Baylor Medical Center. But as Channel 8's Dan Miller reports, the family of young Von Erich is keeping a positive mental and spiritual attitude. We've upgraded him, but I, I think that there's still uh, a guarded prognosis. It means that he's stable, and I don't think that momentarily he could pass away. 21-year-old Mike Von Erich continues one of the toughest bouts of his wrestling career this evening battling deadly toxic shock syndrome. Mike's father, Jack Adkison, better known as Fritz Von Erich, met with reporters today. He conveyed a positive message, but Mike's doctor, William Sutker, was more guarded in his statements. That boy is going to be fine, thanks be to the Almighty himself, to the Cape Lance and these wonderful doctors. Yes, we're um, stabilized enough, but he, we need to watch and still maintain things. He still needs intensive support. Um, but now with things leveling off, um, I've become more optimistic about it than, than I was before. There is a 9% death rate for those who acquire toxic shock syndrome after surgery, which is what happened in Mike's case. He was recovering from shoulder surgery when the infection set in, but doctors say because of his incredible muscle mass and physical condition, he's making remarkable strides toward recovery. And so far, no evidence of brain damage from the prolonged temperature of 107 degrees Mike had when he was admitted to the hospital. Doctors say that young Von Erich will have to remain on a respirator and continue dialysis for some time. As doctors put it, he's not out of the woods yet. Baylor University Medical Center say his condition has been upgraded from critical to serious, although he remains on kidney dialysis and a respirator. Mike's father, Fritz Von Erich, says safe and family are very important in his treatment. It's too soon to tell yet whether he's really out of the woods yet or not. He could have a reversal. But if I know my Lord, the way I know my Lord, there'll be no reversal. He will recover. He is responding to us as we ask questions. He'll nod his head appropriately. Um, he is a 21-year-old Von Erich, whose real name is Mike Adkison, is suffering from toxic shock syndrome. Authorities say he's undergoing dialysis for weakened kidneys and has been on a respirator. Family members and doctors earlier said Von Erich almost died last week due to a dangerously high fever from the infection. Toxic shock syndrome is usually associated with the use of tampons in women. In Von Erich's case, though, it's linked to the August 22nd shoulder surgery that he had. And, Dwayne, there's going to be a big to that young Easter Seals. Uh, no less than 2,000 showed up for the action, which featured many of the favorites seen here on Channel 6. Kevin Von Erich was on hand. He says the recovery of his brother Mike from a bout with toxic shock syndrome ranks as a miracle. Out of the jaws of the lion, but I say it's more like out of the belly of the lion because the doctors had given up. They had said, you know, that boy's dead, you know. They, they didn't say he's dead. They said, uh, he won't make it, you know, call your husband and arrange for uh, the arrangements. So anyway, things are definitely looking up. Mike will be moved to satisfactory condition as soon as we can get the respirator off him, and that ought to be in a few days. And so things are definitely on the up. Oh, you could definitely tell the, there was some binaric spin mixed in with that news reporting, that they were, you know, some of the stuff that was said in that clip. And uh, it, it's, I wonder, I wonder what Dr. Sucker was thinking. I, I wonder how much Fritz was strong-arming him. 
and all this to make him make it seem like this is better than what it is, you know? So I decided to look up the lawsuit that the family files after Mike's death against the hospital and some of the doctors. And for what it's worth, it, it there appeared to potentially be some issues digitizing the case information. So it's possible there's a defendant missing, but it looks like Dr. Sutker was not among the defendants. Yeah. But so, I, I can just tell, I can just I, tell that, that Fritz was strong arming him though, in a way. I mean, because you notice he said no brain damage when we all know what happened. Uh, yeah. Well, it's possible they don't know yet. Too. Well, um, his mass, his huge muscle mass. What? Yeah, yeah, that one jumped right out at me. Yeah, that's one too. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little. Well, that was the. I don't know if that was something they said in the presser as much as it was. That was the TV. That was yeah. one of the TV announcers, which would probably be Fritz's influence a little more than on the doctor. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Although I'll say this, by the way, like watching this clip for as much as people deride him as unathletic, and he definitely didn't have his brother's talent. He's not unathletic. He gets a lot of height on that big jumping knee and stuff in the clips here. It wasn't Kendall Wyndham. No. No, he was not Kendall Wyndham. And Mike, Mike, Mike was not the worst wrestler in the world. I mean, Mike, he he was serviceable. He could do things. There was stuff he could do. But he was not by any means the worst. Yeah. yeah and unfortunately for him, he he had to be booked like a superhero because of his name if they could have sent him away somewhere to kind of not be Mike Von Erich and actually get to work and learn uh, and then come back, who knows what he could have turned into. But unfortunately uh, he was also somebody who, you know, word was that he didn't really love wrestling anyway. He kind of got pushed into it. Uh, and he may have been able to find himself if he didn't have all that pressure put on him to, you know, be as good as his brothers. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. So as far as not knowing the whole story, <sighs> That's, I mean, I get why Dave's speculating, but presumably that's also because I don't think the family knows yet, right? Because it would come out later, and the reason they sued was that there was an instrument left in him during the shoulder surgery, right? Yeah. So, I don't think there's any real secrecy other than maybe that his prognosis or the brain damage and stuff is much worse than was being said. But it doesn't seem like there's any drug related cause or anything here well i don't know but let's, Although, let's go to, yeah i was just gonna say though with dave saying that he hasn't well i mean there was a little bit when we covered david's death but it's like Meltzer has not said anything outright about david von eric's death being drug related yet though not yet no all right well let's continue dave says i don't want to comment right now by the way that the dallas promotion has handled mike's near fatal illness until he viewed all the tapes this week he will mention that many readers have remarked to him that they are exploiting it to sell wrestling tickets. Which, by the way, if it is the case, it isn't working. And the staged-looking hospital press conference on World Class TV Show was in very poor taste. In fact, there is a good deal of the wrestling public and public at large in Dallas which view it all as a promotional hoax after the press conference on the World Class broadcast. Which is what we saw clips of just then. That's okay. what aired on World Class TV. Um... I, I get it to a point, but I don't know. I mean, it's clearly, clearly something real. Um, oh, but they got reasons to to think that already. You know, I guess. So, um, I do want to mention. Well, I wonder. Okay. I wonder how much of it is related to that. 
you know, at, at this point, everybody in Dallas really knows, I think, at this point, that the Von Erics are not the family they're portraying themselves to be, right? I, I think that bloom has started to kind of come off the rose already. Yes. Enough, yeah. enough people, enough local people uh, know kind of the, the sordid underbelly of this family that, you know, it, it, it can it can definitely definitely lead other people to think that this is not, you know, what it appears to be. Yeah. Um, and with toxic sock syndrome, if I remember right, I can't find the name right now. Misuse of tampons, I think technically can still cause it, but it doesn't really happen anymore because it was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm reading one article that at least describes it. It's that they were over absorbent. If there were specific brands and stuff that were, you know, causing dryness, making more prone to infection, et cetera, et cetera, and improvements in the products are why it tapered off after the early 80s when there was the peak of toxic shock in women. Yeah. All right, well, let's go back to uh, world class. Not much going on here other than the crowds have hit record lows. Real reasons are, one, all the talent's stale. Two, the few newcomers brought in, like Jimmy Powell, there was Jimmy Powell, Jim Powers, John Tatum, etc., are awful. Three, many of the main eventers like Martin Lewin and Killer Brooks are awful, while Kevin Gino and Brian Diaz are, for the most part, lazy. Four, the way the promotion handled Mike's illness has turned many people off. And five, with Mike's life in jeopardy, meaning the loyal fans don't find it a major concern whether or not Kevin and Kerry get their head shaved. <laughs> the, the hair match takes place at the Cotton Bowl on October 16th, if it does well. It'll be the only car between then and now to do so. Yeah, that's another thing, too. I mean, this is overshadowing all the stuff that's going on in their television. You know, mm -hmm. the situation. So, yeah, world class is definitely in a state of flux. Um, and then Brody, who's been around, he's leaving at the end of September, probably won't return. He's not over nearly like he was for reasons ranging from a stale promotion to poor foes. So there's that. But, um... Yeah, let's. I mean, look at all these cards here. All right, Sports Tournament August 30th. Iceman over Jack Victory. Scott Casey over Kelly Kaniski. Brian Adias over Chris Adams by DQ. Iceman and Misty Blue over Jack Victory and Linda Dallas. And a carrier one-man gang in a Chicago death match. This is the Friday House Show, Sportatorium. And then Labor Day in Fort Worth. Kelly Kaniski over Jim Powers. John Tatum over Scott Casey. Gina won the Texas title over Brian Adias. Brody over one-man gang by DQ. Kevin Von Eric over Chris Adams. Iceman over Mark Lewin by DQ, and then Brian Adias, Kevin and Carey, Brian Summer for Mike, winning the world-class six-man titles from Jack Victory, Mark Lewin, and the one-man gang. So, yeah, you look at this, the, the, these cards, and the talent has changed so much from just a year earlier. You know, you can see where it's gotten to where they're at business-wise. It's not nearly as good of a crew. Lenny, as it was, you know, in the two and years. Somehow they this. still managed to get 11,000 people. <laughs> it's Labor Day. It's the, it's the Labor Day Star Wars show. I mean, it, it's still it's still a draw. Yeah, it's still a draw. It still is a draw. You got Their big shows are still drawing pretty good. It's everything else. Yes. I would wager I would wager a significant portion of those 11,000 people, though, uh, probably didn't want to come back after watching this show. <laughs> Well, all right, well, so we're going to play a clip real quick. Uh, we're going to play the end of Kevin and Chris. Gino is locked in a cage above the ring. So uh, let's go to that and see how this ends. 
Oh, sorry. I see the YouTube clip now. Okay. We didn't remember things got moved out of order a little bit. So. Yeah. What's well, timestamp? So you just hit play no, and go right to it. I see. Tim Ornott. Now Kevin from behind with a super. Adam struggling, pulls David Manning straight into him. And Gino has got something. Gino is throwing something out of the cage. Kevin has got it after Adam used it. Kevin knocks Adams off his feet with whatever that is that Gino threw out of the cage. Now Kevin has hidden it in his tights. Two, three, yes. I love that David Manning is having to pull the, the wire to bring Gino over. <laughs> Kevin Eric has won it. The Hernandez Adams pull it backfired. Now they're at it again while they try to lower the cage. Chris Adams is thrown to the floor. They're having problems. <laughs> Gino slowly being lowered. Chris Adams is down on the yeah, floor. Yeah, I'll say. going after him. Gino looks scared to death, and he's got good reason. What are they even holding the cage up with? I don't know. A pulley? I guess. Route pulley. Let's see Gino here. Oh, now it's coming down. Kevin has made some promises for Gino. Let's see what happens. Kevin's got him. Oh, oh, that's why Gino's wearing a suit. More down. suit ripping on this ripping between the two. <laughs> Kevin is pulverizing Gino, ripping his pants off. But now Chris Adams has a belt and has knocked Kevin into the cage. They're locking Kevin into the cage. Oh no, they're going for scissors. Gino had them concealed in his britches on his ankle. Britches. Gino I love it. It is his britches, Picks. Scissors. <laughs> Kevin is in the cage. Carrying one of his cutoff uh, half shirts Kevin is to show off his abs. Kevin has got the scissors. The convention center is going wild. Have you ever in your life seen anything like this? And the dynamic duo is running. Kevin almost got Gino by the hair, but Adams came in from behind. Adams, you want a six match? You want a double hair match? Baby, you got it! Well, there we go. You hear Kevin on the house mic. He won the bout. Here's Kerry. I take it back. Kerry will talk to Kevin. But you hear the voice right. of the cancer. That's it. So there you go. That's what sets up the hair match, the final straw. 
to build the, the Cotton Bowl, but that's a hot damn crowd, man. I mean, that, this is this angle still got some steam to it. It this one does at least. So the bump Chris took off the nuck shot was just absolutely glorious. Oh yeah, he flew through the air. It was so great. Absolutely. All right, AWA, real quick. Uh, AWA now has wrestling dolls like WBF, and they work with Remco to make figures for the Road Warriors, Rip Martell, Baron Von Raschke, the Fabulous Ones, and the High Flyers. You can also buy a wrestling ring for them to play in as well. I love these. I mean, LJN are great for what they were, but these Remco figures, you could play with them a whole lot better than you could with LJN because their parts moved. So I thoroughly enjoyed the Remco AWA line. And it was cheaper, too. Always a plus when you're trying to beg your parents to buy you stuff. <laughs> well, maybe they weren't cheaper in certain parts of Brooklyn where you could get good deals on the LJNs. <laughs> they fell off the back of a truck. But... Yeah, I don't think well, there are any AWA dolls falling off trucks in New York. <laughs> no. But AWA does have a New York presence again. As Rip Martell and Terry Gordy went to an absolute 15-minute draw on the ESPN show on September 3rd. By the way, if anyone has a tape of that match, let Dave know he'd like to see it. He doesn't want to see anything else from the AWA, however. <laughs> this was taped at the, the uh, Tropicana in Atlanta City. This is the first ESPN show. And this was a big deal, Lenny, to have AWA on ESPN on a weeknight, during the week, and then roller derby afterwards. I mean, I love watching that stuff. Yeah, I couldn't get it though. Like I said, in '85, we still didn't have cable in in Queens, so <laughs> that's crazy. I was, and I, I was still, you know, a a slave to the magazines at that point. Well, were they that's still crazy. on PIX at this point, or were they done? Yes, yes, they're on PIX until spring '86. Ask Pro Wrestling USA. That's what I thought. Where are they? Oh man. Yeah, because I have a show that's from not... March in the March. That's New York feed. Yeah, I'm gonna miss that entirely. Yep. Yeah, it was on PIX. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, but that no. <laughs> but the, but yeah, this is a, a really damn good match, and uh, yeah, the AWA stuff from, from uh, Atlantic City is fun. So it's it's a it's different. It's different than you know. It's got different feel about it and everything. Being from the Trop, and uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed those shows a lot. And they're on YouTube, so everybody go check them out if you haven't had a chance. But anyway, Lenny's going to leave us now. He's got other things to uh, to attend to, but we were glad to have him with us as long as we were. So, uh, Lenny, anything you want to uh, plug or whatever? It's your time. I, I have nothing left to plug anymore. I don't, <laughs> I don't, well, you can, I'm just a, I'm a fan like everybody else now, so there's really not much to plug. <laughs> You're like one of us peons, but uh, – No. But yeah, I mean your Twitter changed. You might want to uh, yeah, you know, talk it, about that. It's now LT from Astoria, A-S-T-O-R-I-A. It's uh, Lenny Thomas from Astoria. Just a reminder of where I came from back in the day as a youngster in New York City and Queens, uh, even though I now live in Florida. <laughs> hey, you never forget your roots, so to speak. No. And, be- and believe me, there is a lot of New Yorkers in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Can confirm. So there is that. But anyway – Oh, always a pleasure to have you on, and we'd love to have you back on again in the future. And uh, good luck in your uh, retirement. In, in my unquote. future endeavors? In your future endeavors, yes. You've been future endeavored. Not, not retire. I, I, I kind of tried to stay away from the word retirement just because. Well, you're sabbatical. 
Yeah, well, I don't even know if it's a sabbatical. Sabbatical implies I'm coming back. I think it's more just <laughs> I and and who knows? I maybe I am, and maybe I'm not. Down the line, you never. It's wrestling. Obviously, you never say never, right? But um, I I just don't know that being an indie wrestling announcer is something. I think you retire from a career, right? I indie wrestling never paid my bills. It never supported my family. It was it was something I did for a long time, and I loved doing, and it was a big part of of my life for 20 years but i i don't know that you retire from something you didn't do full-time right like i hey, i don't know anybody right. who i don't know anybody who worked 20 hours a week at mcdonald's and said they retired from mcdonald's right like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right you're right it's a full-time job that you retire from you're yeah right. it's just you know it's just i'm not i'm just not actively you know looking to take any bookings or, or announce any wrestling shows and, and at the end of the day i think I think the world has heard enough from 50 year old white guys for a while. Maybe it's time somebody else has something <laughs> to say. So, tell, tell some other people that, <laughs> yeah. so, well, you know, we'll see, but I'll, I'll, I, I always, I make sure to tell everybody that I did work with. I'm always around if they need anything just to, you know, if they want me to watch tapes and listen to them and give them feedback and stuff, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Even for, you know, actually as a serious plug, young announcers, if anybody's listening to this stuff, you know, if, if you want to hit me up on Twitter and send me matches to watch, um, if, if you think my advice is, is worth taking, I'm happy to provide it. If you think I'm, you know, full of shit, you can tell me that, too. But um, <laughs> I'm happy to, you know, to help any any young announcer in, in any way I can, because it's I, it's something I kind of took pretty seriously towards the the, the last few years of, of my involvement in wrestling, because I didn't have that myself. Uh, in the beginning part of my career, I was pretty much self-taught. I didn't have anybody really producing me or teaching me how to do this. I kind of had to figure it out on my own. So if I can take the the limited wisdom of my experiences and, and pass it on to, you know, the next generation of announcers, I'm, I'm happy to do that. In fact, I think it's it's my responsibility to do it. So uh, if anybody wants to hit me up, feel free. Absolutely. And believe me, you ain't going to find nobody better right now than this man as far as wrestling announcing so not just on the independent level on the whole level of wrestling and yes we were all honored to be able to listen to lenny uh do his thing man and uh, whether it was solo because god knows he when it comes to solo wrestling announcing believe me i mean nobody's done it better just solely as far as that goes and uh you know working with, with the praise act or our dear friend rob naylor or anybody else over the years I mean, Lenny's uh, been a great ser- uh, great service to the industry, and uh, like I said, it's always been great to listen to him do his work. So uh, mm-hmm. we appreciate you very much, Lenny. I'll feel it's mutual. I appreciate you guys, too. Thanks for All having right. me. All right. We'll be back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, a tag team extravaganza. Let the battle royale begin. Looks like Hawk is about to drop in on the fabulous ones. Uh-oh, the Baron's after the animal. <laughs> Will you look at this? Rick Martell is throwing Steve Kern right out of the ring. Oh my, and the Hawk has Stan Lane all tied up, and he's mad! The Battle Royale playset comes complete with six figures, referee, and official wrestling ring from Remco. Well, let's continue on now. And uh, Continental, let's go to Continental Championship Wrestling. Norval Austin made his return to the area. He had been a big deal on Southeastern for many years and uh, he's come back to the area and he makes his return here just showing up in the ring w- with the nightmares uh cutting a promo and uh they weren't too happy about it so let's go to the clip mike jackson 
I'd like to talk to Norvell. Give me this mic. I know y'all people glad that the dog is back. I come here to wrestle the and everybody. I come to gain some title. Now y'all give me some respect and sit down. Are y'all pointing a certain finger? Exactly that to Norvell Austin at this point in time. And a series of stinging blows to Austin now drives him back to the canvas once again. Norvell Austin back to his feet in the nightmares again. More punishment. just charged in there after it and they've got Norvell Austin up double soup play and uh, we're going to have to get some kind of order restored here but let's stay with the action Norvell Austin taking a tremendous beating meanwhile Ash and Roy Lee Welch battling it out outside the ring Get in. Now we got uh, Brickhouse Brown out there. 
Rickhouse Brown and Norvell Austin. And they are battling it out side by side against the Nightmares. And the Nightmares beginning to uh, face the strength, the power of this combination. And so, Norvell Austin and Brickhouse Brown standing alone in the ring as the Nightmares decide that discretion is the better part of valor and it's time to leave and perhaps come back another day. And here are two men. Now well, let's see what happens. Do they or don't they? Well, there was some mutual uh, respect here. And we may be seeing some wrestling history in the making here. These two men have never been uh, close or friends at all. But they suddenly found themselves fighting a common foe. And, uh, well, you can see both men very cautious of each other. Both of them recognize uh, the tremendous power of the other one. And they do shake hands. Well, we may have seen a new bond forged here tonight at Popwell Auditorium. Norvell Austin and Brickhouse Brown finding themselves fighting back-to-back -back against a common opponent. And uh, certainly that was uh, something to see indeed in the nightmares may have some nightmares in store for them in the very near future. We do have a U.S. Junior right. Heavyweight Championship matchup coming. Let's turn it over. Those are tough angles to do. When you're bringing a guy in who hasn't been in a while, you're bringing him back, he had been a heel, but he had been a babyface, but he had been a heel mainly, and you bring him back cold and then do an angle like this. I mean, you heard the fans. Fans kind of didn't know what to do. You know, as he's getting beat down because he's not a baby face yet. And and Brickhouse comes in and makes a save, but it just it didn't, I don't think it got nearly the heat they were expecting it to get. What do you think? The one thing that really stuck out to me was when Ash was gonna come off the second rope and he's kind of teasing it in this old school workery way. And then just comes off with like the gentlest stomp to the back, and it almost felt like yeah. it killed whatever was left of the heat. Yeah. This, this didn't go off as well as it could have. No. No, it didn't. But, uh, I mean, Norville, I mean, he does rebound. Uh, he becomes, you know, Safi's heavyweight champion, big feud uh, with Adrian Street and stuff. So he rebounds off this, but kind of an inauspicious way to make his return to the territory, so to speak. But, Still, there you go. All right, uh, labored at the Botwell non-TV house show. Uh, Rorley was over Bill Ash by DQ. Adrian Street over Nick Patrick. Yes, he's wrestling at this point on. Norville and Brickhouse over the Nightmares. Tommy Rich over the Flame by DQ. And then we have a stretcher match as uh, Jimmy Golden, Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, and Robert Fuller beat Brad Armstrong, Scott Armstrong, and Steve Armstrong. Bob is still out injured. So uh there you go. Continental Championship Wrestling. Good times here. Good to, good run here in this era. Let's go to Memphis. They ran Labor Day at the Mid-South Coliseum. As we had Tom Branch over Tracy Smothers, Brian and Sean O'Reilly over Bill Smith's and Terry Adonis, Tojo Yamamoto over Bota, the witch doctor by disqualification. 
Taurus Bulba over Tommy Wright. Steve Kern and Stan Lane over Jonathan Boyd and Rip Morgan by disqualification. Billy Travis and Coco Ware. Well, that makes sense. Billy stepped in as a PYT at one point in time, and uh, now him and Coco are Bay faces. Over Mr. Class, Ken Timms, and Ron Sexton. In their main event, a take fist match. Phil Hickerson and Jerry Lawler over Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordy. So Buddy's uh, involved here at this point in time in the Freebirds Memphis run, picks. A great run here in this time period. I don't think I've ever seen the Buddy stuff, though. Um, he only works maybe like one or two matches. Um, I don't know if this is on tape. Let me see. As I look. Uh, mm, okay, I'm looking here. No, I don't think we have that. So, um. Yeah, we got that. Of course, we got Hayes and Gordy and their feud with uh, Idle, Lawler, and Hickerson and all the big matches they had. So we do have that. But uh, yeah, it's fun to see the Freebirds in Memphis. Absolutely. Different. And the whole uh, nomadic 85 Freebirds run is fun in general. Oh, yes. They're everywhere. Louisville, the next night at Louisville Gardens on September 3rd, we have a handicap match. Tom Branch and Buddy Wayne over Big John Harris. Billy Travis go to the contest with Tommy Wright. Brian and Sean O'Reilly over Terry Donaldson, Bill Smithson. Mr. Class and Ron Section over Jerry Jarrett, Tojo Yamamoto. Coco Ware retained the Mid-America title beating Bolta, the Witch Doctor. Texas Tornado Death matched Fabs over Jonathan Border, Rip Morgan. And then Jerry Lawler uh, beat Tars Boba in a Southern Way title match by count up, but Boba was the champion at this point in time. So, Odd run to Memphis here, and this is the Tom Ernesto era. Uh, a lot of odd, different names. Let's put that way. A lot of different names going on here. Yes. It's odd. But is it odd in a good way, Dix, in your mind? Not really. Because you can have that odd good, or you can have that odd, eh. Yeah, it, so, most of it doesn't click, I don't think. No. But it's always fun to watch, especially the Tommy Wright videos. One of the legendary videos. Yes. All right, let's go to Mid-South Wrestling. Cowboy Bill Watts, uh, opening the uh, TV for our week, uh, makes note of a special award won by Boyd Pierce. And the segue is from that to talk about one Mid- Midnight Rider. So let's go to the Cowboy. What's the award best vendor of pro wrestling king of sports merchandise? So just take a guess of who awarded Boy Pierce this award. Oh, wait, it's the summer. Well, you got it, so let's play the clip. We have some great bouts tonight, Boyd, and another thing I think is in order is just about two weeks ago in Kansas City at the Wrestling Fans International Association, the big meeting annually of all the wrestling fans, Boyd Pierce was selected as the Wrestling Commentator of the Year, received over 8,000 votes, Boyd, and that's some prestigious competition with Vince McMahon, Gordon Soley and many others in there, and congratulations. Thank you, Bill. And I, I wasn't there. Jim Melby accepted from me from, for me from St. Paul. And I'd been there. I was accepted on behalf of all the wrestling fans and our team here, Bill Watts, Jim Ross, and Joel Watts. Thank you so much. Well, I want to say one thing. Like I said, there's a war going on. We've been on a search, and we found an athlete that I think is probably the most fantastic athlete in wrestling, a man that stands for honor, integrity, He's a powerful individual. He's on the way. We don't know exactly when he's going to get here or how he's going to arrive, but
But join me now to Willie Nelson and the Midnight Rider as we check the man out that's coming after Akbar and going to help Duggan and my friends put an end to Skandar Akbar. I got run to keep from hiding. I'm bound to keep on riding. And I got one more silver dollar. And I ain't gonna let them catch me, no. I ain't gonna let them catch the midnight rider. So we should describe what's happening here, which is that the midnight rider, who is obviously Bill Watts. Uh, At this point in time, yes fades in and out of different scenery like he's a ghost. This is the best Midnight Rider video there ever was. Yeah. And it's done by Joel Watts. That's the reason he's even involved. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm, gonna just turn, I'm just going to mute the audio, and we'll describe it from here on. Oh, are you going to play Willie? Yeah, because it messes up the thing, but it's like... It's, oh, my God. Well, there's nothing for people to hear, Chris. It's Willie, for God's sakes. <laughs> I, but it's, it's, they can hear that anywhere. Uh, still, it's Willie. Willie's right. not shooting the wrestling angle. All right, this is Michael Watts. <laughs> he, turned, he turns and points to the camera. He took the hat off. They don't have a mask on. Then turned around. And it was Micah, and that's obviously Cowboy Bill Watts and we driving should, Bigfoot. And we should also her, note her, that sorry, Cow, Cowboy's basically just wearing a bandana over his mouth and stuff. He is not wearing a wrestling mask. Yeah, but yeah, this is just. Uh, He's coming in a helicopter. Again, it's amazing. The greatest Midnight Rider video, and it's Dusty's not even involved. <laughs> mm. So, um, the hel- helicopter landing in the field. Bill getting out. Make sure he doesn't get his head chopped off. That might have been Micah again in the wreck because it was the wrestling mask. No, it's Bill. Bill's oh, it was. Running. Okay, I wasn't looking yeah. too close. And this is definitely Bill riding a motorcycle. Yeah. The old man at the gas station. Why is he trip. only wearing the wrestling mask in parts of it, though? Why isn't he wearing the wrestling mask the whole thing? I don't know, Biggs. I don't know. But there's your silver dollar. You mean your silver dollar? That old man looks like he, uh, he got this great gift from the Midnight Rider. You mean the Midnight gone? Rider? All right. There's well, the video. He's a terrific guy, and Joel did a tremendous job of that video, but... Uh, how do you know that he's after Akbar? He didn't say a word. <laughs> well, boy, I think everybody around the country has heard about Skandar Akbar, and I just got a gut feeling that the Midnight Rider is coming <laughs> for the final conflict that's going to settle the issue once and for all where the Skandar Akbar is going to dominate Mid-South. Now let's go to the referee in the ring for our first bout, the Fantastics Bobby Fulton, Tommy Rogers against Pat Rose and Jerry Gray. All right. So there you go. All right, well, let's continue on. It's incredible. It seems this area now has four villains being pushed who are worse than Kamala. Mr. Kareem Muhammad, Bruiser Bob, Sweet Tan, Lord Humongous, and Nord the Barbarian. Even more incredible is that Skander Atbar is, in Dave's book, the most effective manager except for Keo Wakamatsu in wrestling. Atbar himself is a tired at, but he's being used so well that Dave can't believe it. Kamala's a wrestler much because he's got a heart condition. So Kareem Muhammad and El Corsario, a small wrestler built as a Puerto Rican terrorist who looks to have some experience and a little day seeing him looked okay, are in Atbar's camp. Of course, that's Sabio Vega, El Corsario, but uh, yeah, I mean, 
they definitely had at bar heated up at this point in time. But uh, what do you think about Dave's assessment here of, of what Mid South's got going on heel wise? I don't think he's being unreasonable. Isn't it interesting that Mid South and World Class have a lot of similarities at this point in time regarding their uh, their talent? Oh, you mean almost as if someone is actually working in both offices? Yeah, there is that, isn't there? (laughs) There Uh, is that. I'll say this as much of a terrible human being as he was. This is work-wise the best run of Bob Sweetan Sweetan we have of him on tape. Yeah. Yeah, he he, he does do a, a, a good job here in this territory. Yeah, um, and Barbarian is good for his experience. Yes. And Kamala, this is just Dave not liking certain types of wrestlers. Yeah, that's that's part of it, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Kareem Muhammad is what he is. I mean, Ray Candy was never particularly good. And Jeff Van Camp is still pretty green, but he's he's being a little harsh. Like, he's not being unreasonable, but... He's also being a little harsh on some of them, but it's 1985. But this, well, here's the thing, though. Dave, you know, glowed over Mid-South the previous run. Yes. Where it had all those great workers, and now you have this era of Mid-South going on. Yeah. Definitely not the same. So that's what this is, Bix. What do you think else? Is Dun- well, Dundee's about to leave, right? Yes. But he is technically booking at this point. Technically, yes. And then he gets replaced and, by Slayer. Uh, yes. All right, Dave's told the crowds are basically okay, but nothing special. Mm. But we'll look at the talent here. Uh, Shreveport's Timmer first. El Cosario over Pat Rose. Kamala over Carl Stiles. The Fantastics and Andy Gilbert over Bill Dundee, Dutch Mantel, and The Nightmare. Wilma Cooley and Perez over Bossy Tan, Dr. Death. Dick Murnard returned North American time to go into a double key with Lord Humongous. Butchery over Kamala, subbing for the Barbarian. And in an eight train tough guy match, Hacksaw Jim Duggan over Scandar at Bar. And then you got Lakefront Arena on September the 2nd. No results, just a lineup. Bill Dundee against Bobby Fulton. Eddie Gilbert and Perez against Dutch Mantel and the Nightmare. Butchery defending the Miss Off TV title against the Barbarian. Murnard defending North American title against Humongous. And then. Wendell Cooley, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, The Midnight Rider, and Jake Roberts. I guess El Casario, Mr. Kareem Muhammad, Bob Sweet Tan, and Dr. Def Steve Williams. So, yeah, I mean, this ain't Midnight's and Rock and Rolls or, you know, Terry Taylor and DiBiase. It's a different crew. This is more of a Bill Watts crew, you know, if you look at them. A Grizzly Smith crew in some ways. Yeah, but that's more in the same in a lot of ways, too. Well, sweet and not necessarily. It's more Ernie Ladd and Bill Watts' crew, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe. So, yeah. Not everyone has seen just how out of shape sweet Tan is. It's just in speculation that he was ever the nightmare. Randy Collins, or Cully, if you will, without the hair dye, has a very similar-looking beard and chin of sweet Tan, which is why at times even Dave could swear a nightmare was sweet Tan. After seeing sweet Tan's condition and watching him wrestle, though, they realize that he's never seen Sweet Tan wearing a Nightmare mask. The only reason I think there were similarities there is because they wore the same type of singlet. Yeah. But I thought it was pretty obvious that Nightmare was not Boss Sweet Tan. You would think so. Taller. Yeah. 
That's the thing. He's a taller dude. And they emphasized it here in ways that other territories didn't necessarily. Yes. Yeah. Like, I remember the first time I ever saw Mitsautapes with a nightmare. I definitely didn't realize he was Randy Colley at first. They definitely made him look and feel bigger. Yes. All right, let's go to Texas All-Star Wrestling. They ran a show in San Antonio at the Freeman Coliseum on September the 1st. We have Rip McCord over Tom Jones. Pepe Gonzalez over Little Tokyo. Paul Diamond and Shawn Michaels over Kevin Collins and did a stamp. USA Junior Heavyweight title match. Dale Veazey, Bick. One over Terry Daniels to win the championship. So we got title one on the ass. Then Joe Lightfoot over Mike Golden by count out. The Hoods. That's Ricky Santana and Tony Torres on a mask over Big Bubba Ottman and Nick Kaniski. And then Chavo Guerrero over Al Madrill in your main event. Says so Texas All Star. Yeah. Um, there's a comment I'd make about certain people not being in Kansas City at this point, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Probably, maybe better well, to avoid. <laughs> well, let's go to Kansas City. Des Moines. We have the show that goes, Kansas City's not in our week because we don't have a full week this week because of uh, the way the days were. Uh, Des Moines, Iowa, Veterans Memorial Auditorium, August 31st. We have Akio Sato against Ricky Starr, not the famous one. Mike George against Edgar Boo Thomas. The Batten Twins against Sheik Abdullah and Starship Coyote, Scott Hall. Gary Royal defend the World Junior title against David Peterson. So I guess Danny Brown, Pat Tanaka wasn't a World Junior title match after all in the Cronkite section. Mr. Poco defending the Central States Heavyweight title against Art Cruz. And Bulldog Bob Brown against Rufusara Freight Train Jones in your main <laughs> event. Well, the one thing you can say about this Central States uh, card and this territory at this time, it's got the least amount of child molesters on the, in the group at the time, so there's that. I would have just said perverts, but sure. <laughs> I didn't name names. Okay. <laughs> but it does. I mean, this crew is a fair, it's like a clean crew to me. Who is the booker at this point? Uh, Probably Bulldog Bob Brown. Hmm. Okay. If I'm willing to hazard a guess. But mm. but you know who just left? Who? Terry Garvin. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, he just left. Like, the week before our week. Huh. Huh. Co- coincidence? I think not. All right, let's go to Portland. Ricky Vaughn was the worst champion in wrestling until Kim the Winner won the Florida title. <laughs> I mean Ricky Vaughn, Eric. Ricky Vaughn, Eric, yes. Or Kevin Vaughn, <laughs> Eric. <laughs> I love that. When I read that news, I, I love that line. I laughed. I laughed and I laughed. <laughs> so much Dave thinks of Kendall. He thinks he's worse than Ricky Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Buddy Rose earlier, working in Florida. Well, here's why he left. When he went down for the first time for a one-week Florida stint, Wahlman well, Daniel liked the way he took bumps so much that he offered him a job. Rose gave promoter Don Owen two weeks' notice, and crusty old Don insists on four weeks' notice. So Don has said Buddy will never be welcome back. He said that about ten times to Buddy in the past as well, so he'll probably get over by the time but Rose wants to return. Well... This was the longest one. Yeah. Because he doesn't go back to 1988. But I can see where Wahoo Medanian would like the way Buddy Rose bumps. Absolutely. Yes. He's the bump master. 
And too bad, buddy, didn't go to Florida when it was a uh, much better territory. It'd been awesome there. Mm-hmm. But, and Florida's time become like mini Portland because you got Oliver and the Grappler and Buddy and Coco Samoa. I mean, there's a lot of uh, Portland flavor in Florida at that time. Billy yes. Jack. Uh-huh. <laughs> and at least uh, going by cage match, his last match in Portland proper uh, is uh, August 17th, again, losing to Steve Simpson. And then he's not back until May 7th, 88, where he defeats the grappler. There you go. Joseph Ode is the best wrestler on the circuit. He's teamed with South Africa Steve Simpson as the SNS Express. So does Joseph Oldie just go looking for partners whose last name <laughs> begins with S? Well, Alvarez didn't begin with S. That's true. I, but we, there was also the uh, SNS Express with Vic Steamboat that we talked about a few weeks ago. So no, with Al Perez, though, they were the... They had like 10, rock 20 different rockers. names. No, but there weren't just that. There were the New York Rockers, the Rock and Roll Rockers. There's at least a third. I don't remember what it is, though. Joseph Aldi was a good talent, you know? Yeah. Jumping Joseph Aldi. I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it Martin Nolte that used to say that he made more money working ICW shots than he did working full-time in, other, in good territories? Well, look who his dad is. Well, that also makes you wonder about a lot of people's theories about the Savaldis, too. <laughs> so, I, I wonder if they were dealing in LJN figures at the time. <laughs> they just happened to fall the truck, fix. What can you say? All right. Elton Owen is no longer promoting for this group. All his towns, Southern Oregon and Eugene, are now being handled by Don's son, Barry. Uh, I bet the wrestlers were pissed. They couldn't fake shoot with each other for bonuses <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Oh, that elk. I guess he's not still standing for uh, Don Owen anymore, huh? Bitch is back, though. <laughs> uh, it's goodbye, Yellow Brit Road, indeed. All right, Sports Arena in Portland on April 31st. August 31st, excuse me. Maybe they both begin with A. Mike Miller over Ron Pope. Yes, the Magnificent Zulu. Chris Colt went to a draw with Steve Pardee. Bobby Jaggers went to a draw with Scott Doring. Ricky Vaughn retained the Pacific Northwest Heavyweight title, going to double count out with Diamond Timothy Flowers. And then the SNX Express defeated Carl Steiner, Bob Delacera, as a fake Russian, and a fake German, and Mike Miller by disqualification. Me, Mike Miller. What a ragtag group this is. Yeah, ragtag is a good word to use there. Zulu, Ron, I mean, Zulu, Chris Cole, Bobby Jaggers, Timothy Flowers. Mm. You talk about how uh, you fall from grace from territory, though it's going to get way worse the next year in Portland, but yeah. 85 for the most part is still fairly rough. Yeah. Definitely ain't 1983 in Portland. That's for damn sure. Yeah. All right. We got some potpourri, Bix. Been a while since we have potpourri. Uh, Joe Pettacino, Superstars of Wrestling TV block in Atlanta, has added the WF show that used to air on WAGA Channel 5 in Atlanta on Sunday mornings, but dropped it due to low ratings. Pettacino's planning to put the show at 8 p.m. Eastern time, making it the first show to air on the block, and they picked them to show, they picked them to show that they aren't biased against them. How long has the proper block been going on at this point? Uh, 
three and a half months. Okay. Um. So which show is this? It? Championship or championship championship wrestling? And this does not last long. Mm. Because Mid South ended up being the eight o'clock show, and then Memphis I think was nine, and then World Class King. World Class was after that, but yeah, WWF did not last long here in this spot. Absolutely. So there is that. And to close out, New York Governor Mario Cuomo signed a bill that went into effect on September 1st that forces professional boxing and wrestling promoters that run the state to provide medical and life insurance to their fighters. The bill requires them to provide $7,500 in medical insurance and 100000 in life insurance for injuries suffered during each match. So because it's of course, I- that's bo- boxing. Well, it made it. He made it sound like it's identical for boxing and wrestling, which makes me think at this point they have the same basic regulations, um, which is not the case now. Even if certain inspectors and other people try to mix them up, the uh, MMA and boxing rules with the wrestling rules, when that's not what you're supposed to do, because the rules have different rules for combative sports and pro wrestling, because it says pro wrestling is not a combative sport these days. Yeah, but. And this is 85, so I also wonder how much this has to do with, uh, oh, what was the name of the state senator who was trying to ban pro wrestling? Abe something? Oh, yeah. So this is also the same time frame as that. So I wonder how much this tied into it. How much they tied into each other, I guess I should say. Who knows? Um... I'd love to know what protections there were or weren't at the time, too. It's, you know, commissions, we've talked about it a zillion times. Is Look, in, in, in on paper, do some of the things, you know, like we talked about the ambulance thing earlier, do they seem good? But it's like, you don't need the ambulance because no one's ever going to actually run the ambulance to the hospital because you can't run the show without the ambulance. So they're just going to take them into the ambulance and then transfer them to the 911 ambulance. So, like, that's an extra expense that doesn't really do anything. You know, a lot, it's mostly smoke and mirrors. You know, having medics there is good. Having a doctor is good. But it's, it's mostly theater. Yeah. I mean, what is always, you know, this is mostly theater anyway with all this stuff. So nothing new. Well, anyway, that's the show for this week. Next week, we go back to 1993. As we have some stuff to talk about, as we got the uh, aftermath for the NWA convention in Las Vegas and the controversy surrounding the NWA World Heavyweight title and WCW. And there's a lot of that going on. So we'll have news on that and how that affect the fall brawl pay-per-view. Big Van Vader is no longer Big Van Vader. We'll talk about that. We have questions on Sid Vicious and his future in the company. And uh, we'll have Tony Schiavone conducting a special interview with the Shopmaster on WCW Saturday Night, among other WCW Everybody Notes. Oh, is that a segment that features a young uh, Cody Garrett Runnels? It's in a restaurant, Bix. That's all I'll say. Okay. All right. Um, in all Japan, uh, the Can-Ams regain the All-Asian Tag Titles. Talk about that. New Japan is having a series against War. We'll talk about that. A former guest of this show is a booker for Foreign Town for Mission Uncle Pro. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll have uh, stuff from Germany, Canada, 
Mexico. We got news on uh, AAA and a lot going on there. Yes, they got some big things going on. We got talks of a major show in Mexico that falls apart. Yeah, CMLL stuff. We got stuff on Ron Scholar to talk about. We got news on Todd Gordon and Eddie Gilbert severing ties in Eastern Championship Wrestling. But they got Rock and Roll Express. We gained the Smoky Mountain Tag Tiles from the Bruce Brothers in, in Smoky Mountain. We got a wild Terry Funk promo from television to talk about. And other things. Mick Memphis. Vincent Man in Memphis. We'll have that. One of his promos there. Along with Brian Christopher and Tony Adams having a falling out on television. We got all kinds of other independent news, including Big D for Bix. And a television taping in Las Vegas, which sounds amazing for something that I don't even know if it actually aired. Hulk Hogan may be falling in popularity, as evidenced by the David Letterman show. And in the World Wrestling Federation, the New York Observer puts an article out that's very interesting regarding the... uh, Situation between Vincent Man and his uh, current legal issues with uh, one Anthony Valenti. Oh, so we'll have, we've never done we'll that have, actual week, have we? No, we've only so we'll done have, the coverage of the Marty Bergman stuff. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have that. And in the ring, we have a new World Wars Federation Tag Team Champions crowned on Raw. Doink the Clown uh, has a little incident with Bobby Heenan to talk about. And all kinds of other things, including uh, new announcers in WWF, new hirings, this, that, and the other. And we'll be joined next week by the returning Mikey Blanton from Black Level Pro. Oh. Uh, yes, he's got a lot. He's had a lot of shows happen lately, so we'll talk about that. Well, he's well going to be a- coming off of a big weekend because he's got the two cup stuffed with GCW. That's right, and Turbo Graps is coming up. So yes, it'd be a. Uh, Good stuff next week. He's very excited. It's in the Mikey Wheelhouse, he says. So it should be a fun show next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Bix. Thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And again, we want to spend this, send a special shout out to, to Lenny for being with us. And this is Chris in so long from the Peach State of Georgia. <laughs>
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon special edition number 71. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's finally time to break away from Titan Gate 92 and go into a new direction. Thankfully. Yes. So, uh, for those of you that have probably been hearing, tired of hearing us talk about pedophilia and other stuff like that, sexual depravity, which there have been some that I've gotten those messages from. So I'll be glad when you get done with this, but that was a very important series we had to do. Yes. And uh, I'm glad we did it. But yes, I agree. I mean, it's time to talk about some some lighter things and, and uh, some more fun things to talk about. And what's more fun to talk about than 2000 WCW, huh? Well, not on screen, but... <laughs> Well, on screen could be at times. Well, we're not talking but, uh, about on screen. No, we're not. We're behind the scenes in business and talking about all the stuff going on with the various suitors of World Championship Wrestling at this time. All right, let's move up a week now as we go to the week of October the 9th, 2000. We got multi channel news October 9th, Business Wire October 11th. BrewWrestleTorch.com, October 11th, and Torch and Observer Newsletters, October 16th. And we begin with WCW May Work With Rival by R. Thomas Umstead of Multi-Channel News. Mandalay Sports Entertainment, World Wrestling Federation Entertainment are both talking to Turner Broadcasting System about possibly buying its beleaguered World Championship Wrestling Organization. WFE, a more successful for wrestling promotion, might be a long shot to buy its rival. But sources say the comp- competitors could team up for several pay-related events in the near future. Sources said that Mandalay Sports was close to wrapping up the, du- the WCW with its former president, Eric Bischoff, heading the company. A deal could be reached as early as October 17th, after WCW official WCW executives, excuse me, a return from Australia, where they currently produce, currently are producing several WCW cable shows, including Monday Night Show Live. The source said the deal was contingent on TBS's continued distribution of WCW programming through its cable services. And Mandalay Sports representative would only say that while no deal is imminent, we are always interested in adding properties to our portfolio that will expand our presence and position in the field of sports entertainment. If a deal was reached, Mandalay would inherit a company that struggled to effectively compete against the profit of the World Wrestling Federation. Industry sources say the company has lost between 50 and 70 million this year alone. A Turner spokeswoman would only say there was the company would not comment on rumors or speculation involving any part of our business. Sources said WFE obtained the option to match any WCW purchase price as part of a settlement in reached this year with TBS over copyright infringement claims. Both have filed claims against the other several years ago. But WFE has his hands full with his own shows and upcoming launch of the XFL Football League. More likely is a joint working relationship between WFE and the eventual WCW owner, possibly on future pay-per-view events. That would likely only come about if WFE obtained a stake in WCW, sources said. WFE executives will not comment on what it calls rumors and speculation. Industry observers say any, point, any joint ventures between the two organizations would generate huge interest from wrestling fans and would boost interest in the WCW. WS Monday Night Raw's Wars regularly beats WCW's Monday Nitro. Even Raw's recent shifts to TNN, the national network, from USA Network didn't change that equation. During the week ending October 1st, the two-hour Raw block averaged 5.45 ratings compared to Nitro's 3.2. His spirit is even greater on the pay-per-view side. WF averages around a 1.355 rate on monthly events, while WCW's have been as low as 0.2. So here we have talk of not WWFE, 
find the company on a whole, but being a joint uh, you know, partner of the new owners at WCW. And I'm reading this, I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> you, I mean, honestly, would you think that Vince McMahon would go for that shit? Or a Super Bowl joint, of wrestling or whatever? Joint? Yeah. No, it's either all or nothing. Vince would want to own the whole, the whole shebang. He's not yeah. joining with nobody. I mean, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get serious. There's a little bit of a weird one here. Uh, but how about Mandalay? Well, we'll get more on that in a minute. How about Mandalay saying no deal is imminent? Did we just hear a week earlier that deal was going to be announced as soon as maybe as early as October the 4th? Mm-hmm. How about. You getting a lot? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I so said you're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of talk here, and it has to immediately be backtracked. You know? Yeah. How about both WWFE and Turner specifically using the term "rumors and speculation"? Well, this is what 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 it tells me, Bix, is that this again. This is Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff is running his mouth to to the newsletters, you know, with this full confidence and. It's not he. He should. Is it? He shouldn't have that because nothing is actually you know that deep in the works. Obviously, but he's going out there talking about who, you know who he's going to get rid of and this that and the other and blah blah blah. It's Bischoff and Hervey out there doing all this shit. They're the two names you hear, you know. Yeah, and also it seems like Wade is going to learn from this more than Dave in the coming months. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to press release. Mandalay Sports Entertainment squelches rumors regarding the purchase of WCW, released by Business Wire. Mandalay Sports Entertainment issued the following statement today, putting an end to the rumors that the premier national sports entertainment provider was in discussion to purchase World Championship Wrestling. While Mandalay Sports Entertainment enjoys an excellent relationship, working relationship with WCW and Eric Bischoff, we are presently and have never been in discussions to acquire the organization. Let's continue. Excellent for Manly Sports flat out denies the interest in buying WCW by Wade Keller. One cable industry source responds to the business wide release. I don't buy it for a second. They're feeling the heat for the buzz and want to calm things down until next week when they have a chance to get the deal done. Media sources from Electronic Media to Multi Channel News, a TV guide have all reported Mandalay's interest in acquiring WCW. Another industry source says Mandalay technically isn't in line to buy WCW, but somebody else with deep pockets and some way affiliated with them is. Mandalay will then be hired by that new ownership group to run major elements of the company. Brad Siegel's at WCW headquarters in Smyrna, Georgia this morning for the first time this week. But has already left for the day. He was not in the office on Monday or Tuesday. He had yet to address the front office staff with any official update on the status of WCW. Real quick before we get to the thrust of this, before I for, uh, forget. Moving WCW out of CNN Center to Smyrna probably did not help matters in general, did it? In terms of no. all of a sudden they're out on their own island, it's, it, people are going to be a lot more detached about laying them off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happened when, 97, early 98? Yeah. But anyway. All right. Okay, let me look at this wording again. <laughs> Not presently and never have been in discussions to acquire the organization. Now, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. What Wade says is right, you know, from his source. We, I mean, you see this a lot, you know, in the past and even after this, 
where you have this denial of something's going to happen, and then a week later it happens. Well, UFC and Endeavor it, is the big one. Well, I mean, not just that, but like athletes and signing signing with sure. uh, teams and for agency or stuff like that. I mean, you see this stuff happen all the time where their possibilities are they're, they're trying to squelch those possibilities. They're trying to you know get take a little heat off of it. You know, that's part that's part of the deal. There is it's a throw people off the scent. I mean, everybody knows what's going on, but I mean. <laughs> this one though is interesting because it's pretty blunt about it. It's very emphatic. Yes. It seems like wait, at wait. least going forward it seems like they might be telling the truth. I don't know about ever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to Dave. With his wrestlers in Australia and his front office personnel in the total state of uncertainty. Media reports continue hot and heavy regarding a potential imminent sale of World Championship Wrestling. While virtually all reports listed Bad Elite Sports as the bribe suitor with the group headed by Eric Bischoff, most of the talk over the weekend involved a long shot in the deal, which had been rumored for some time, the potential of the World Wrestling Federation buying out its long-time competitor, particularly after a story on October 9th of multi-channel news. Based on sources very close to the details of potential sale, no deal has been reached or finalize the press time. Both companies and perhaps others are involved in various degrees of negotiations to purchase the company for Turner Broadcasting, which has owned the company since buying that Jim Crocker promotions in late 1988. Those close to negotiations expect the deal finalized within the next two weeks. Due to all the uncertainty among the talent, Terry Taylor called Brad Siegel from Australia and held a meeting on October 8th for talent. At the meeting, Taylor said Siegel had told him that there were four companies looking to buy the promotion, mentioning Mandalay Sports and Bischoff, along with groups from Japan, Germany, and France. WF was never mentioned. Taylor also said Siegel said it was not a given the company would even be sold, but they're entertaining the offers. Kevin Nash tried to jerk through the meeting, noted immediately that the last time Siegel addressed rumors of an impending sale, they said the company was not for sale, basically ruined the credibility of everything that was said. While some talent had certainly heard the McMahon rumors for at least a week, when the talent left on October 4th from Los Angeles to Australia, all the talk regarded the Bischoff buying the company, which caused a misreaction, and most had not heard anything serious if anything at all, about a possible sale to WFE. Some of the current team in charge and direction of the product was a loser and were excited to get on with the business fresh with at least a new direction. Others, particularly those who have worked with Bischoff in the past, remember the periods both when business was strong and when it wasn't, as far as dealing with Bischoff himself, who was generally knocked on for having poor skills and skills in dealing with talent. And others, because me and the rest of the Lord of Vince Russo for their first break and were believed that Russo would be gone if Bischoff's hired, weren't happy because of the belief Bischoff would build around the wrestlers Russo had taken off television and their personal TV time would be cut back. Vince McMahon nor any other WWF sources either confirmed denying any interest in acquiring WCW or negotiations haven't taken place. Those close to negotiations themselves indicate there's been interest by WWF, but the general feeling for numerous reasons that the group headed by Bischoff at this point appears to be the favorite. It's believed that Bischoff Mandalay Group would be composed of outside financing and would create a new company run by Bischoff himself to run the wrestling in. Bischoff is said to have been able to sell the idea that there's a lot of money to be made in the pay-per-view merchandising and licensing of a well-run well wrestling product. Observer sources indicate reports of SFS, which had looked into buying the company earlier this year, being part of the Bischoff Group, are incorrect. Several published reports of the Bischoff Group being able to negotiate an interpromotional angle with WF leading to join pay-per-view shows are also believed to be something that would be next to impossible. It also been rumored throughout wrestling reporting in the multi-channel news article that WFE has the right to match any purchase offer as part of its settlement with Turner Broadcasting and WCW in the copyright infringement lawsuit. 
The lawsuit settlement has been sealed, but there are indications that story may not be accurate, although it's certainly been rumored we've been wrestling for some time. Been man in the early 90s when the gap between the two companies was much closer than it is today turned down several offers from WCW for doing an interpromotion angle, including offers by WCW giving him complete creative control in the booking of the angle, which would have allowed him to book his own company's superiority and put the feud as one-sided as he would have liked. WCW, everybody. It was that Turner Broadcasting is an assistant, no matter who the company is sold to, that it would remain... It would retain the primetime television shows on its two stations. TNT for the next 18 or so months for that station changed its focus. And Nitro would be expected to move to TBS and TBS, but once out of the financial obligations of the company as a whole because it would it could impede the Time Warner AOL merger. On the surface, with the start of XFL in feb- February, as well as starting a new record label and other new divisions, it seems WFE has enough on its plate without attempting to rebuild a faltering brand. The current rate of WCW's losses, $70 million this year, Combined with the projected XFL losses from WFE's 50% ownership, $40 million, with a seed expected WFE profits for this year, estimating the low $70 million range, which could result in yet another unfavorable reaction on Wall Street coming off the heels of the drop in stock prices last week. On the positive side for WF, if a man were to purchase a company, he would get the satisfaction of buying out Ted Turner, who he had a long-time hatred of, and find that after 18 years having the real monopoly of the North American pro wrestling industry that has been his apparent goal from the start, as he already has a working relationship with ECW. He'll be able to move Nitro from Monday, which would increase the ratings on Raw, at least theoretically. He'll be able to have more hours of television time to sell. He'll be able to do an interpromotional angle, although the idea of doing that one right now with WCW in the state it's in would be one year early. That's a company needs to be rebuilt. That's just straight WF pay-per-view shows with current WF angles at this point would do more business than any interpromotional matches. As the only WCW wrestler who could draw bigger business to top WF names than they already could do with each other, Bill Goldberg needs to be rebuilt first. He can also trade wrestlers back and forth, creating big raids on each side that could lead to an overall gain in interest level. as what occurred in 1995 to 1988 boom period, where both companies fighting garnered a huge increase in the number of wrestling fans overall, a number that has dropped significantly over the past year. It would be in his best interest to keep the companies separate, a strategy he decided against in 1984 when he purchased a majority interest in George Championship Wrestling, at the time to supply a wrestling program on TBS, and promptly folded the company, buried the few wrestlers who he did get and purchase. Most of the rest of the other went to the other NWA offices like the Carolinas or remain in the area working for a new company, Ellie Anderson, and some of the GCW stockholders that didn't sell in the hostile takeover put together. Man Man put his own WF program and take from outside Georgia in his time slots, which resulted in the problems with Ted Turner and McMahon, which McMahon was able to make appear legendary in the press. For the first time since 1985, when he was about to get kicked off TBS, and then Jim Barnett brokered a deal to where he sold his rights to air wrestling on the station at Jim Crockett, McMahon would have control of all the major league wrestling. And all the strongest stations broadcasting wrestling at one time. The belief is, should the unlikely scenario of a bad company occur, Bischoff in 2001 would, with Fox, start a competing company using many wrestlers McMahon decides against using. The negative side is larger. McMahon and his creative staff have to produce several more hours more of first run programming each week. There's also a situation involving the WCW contracts. The top wrestlers in the company are on the contract to turn a broadcasting and not with WCW. Fix. The deals, at least as it pertains to guaranteed money and fewer numbers of days per year, are far superior on paper to WF contracts, even though the WF business is booming as it is. The top WF performers are earning as much as the highest paid WCW performers. It's believed that Dwayne Johnson this year will earn more than Terry Balea, although the gap is certainly closer than it should be given the amount of money each man respectively drew. While the WF dressing room, mainly composed of younger wrestlers, is a harder working and more harmonious dressing room than the company has ever had. 
The idea that wrestlers who perceive themselves as being loyal to the company would have weaker contracts than others who are basically seen as lazy and did nothing but kill the other company would create a terribly divisive attitude. It's believed the odds of Vince Russo remaining if other Bischoff and McMahon get control of the product are small. Unless the entire Russo-Bischoff split was a work. The angle where Hogan beat Jarrett, who laid down Russo telling him to, was almost surely a work. But what happened after that point was more open to speculation. To create a Hogan-Russo angle, Hogan -Russo angle, at which point Russo's credibility with the wrestlers would be shot. He would seem doomed in the company Hogan would have a major role in, in what appears to be a total lack of faith in his ability from Bischoff. If it wasn't an angle, walked away to give Russo full control with the belief he would be a miserable failure. Me and the rest are still support him despite the numbers. Although his support among those in the office is nil because of those same numbers. Oh, I scrolled down way too far. Just a second. Scroll back up. Uh, he gave the younger guys television time. And he's actually popular because of dead house show business has resulted in fewer days on the road for the wrestlers. And he removed unpopular wrestlers like Hogan, DP, and Lance Luger from the key spots. And gave many of the wrestlers their first break. Some even championed his cause based on clinging to the belief that it's probably work with Hogan, which appears to been designed to start to partially rally the wrestlers around them with Hogan's blessing and work the boys. This is Hogan gave Nash in 1998 when he took over his book and returned for Hogan getting a vacation and coming back strong on his own terms when returning was actually legitimate from start to finish. Most of the company, even the listeners of WCW Live, which Russo appeared on several times in the past week, got the impression Russo believed his days were numbered. His final appearance gave everyone the impression he was desperately kissing the McMahon looking for a way back. Something that would be difficult given the front office and some of the wrestler's reaction to Russo's statements while leaving of the past year. And the general satisfaction among those on the other side through his falling flat on his face. Russo himself has said he expected the sale to go through this past week, which explains his actions, including not going on a trip to Australia. Russo had told people that he, if he didn't go to Australia, there would be a staff meeting on October the 6th. The buzzer informed of a meeting, and Russo didn't return to Atlanta, having stayed out west to see the San Francisco Giants versus New York Mets playoff series. All right, Bix. Dave uh, wrote a lot there, so uh, what's got your eye here? Ooh, let's see. So everyone's been saying that Vince has right of first refusal or matching rights or whatever on any sale. Um, and like we said earlier, I don't think this is ever 100% confirmed anywhere, right? Uh, no. I don't think it's in any of the WWE documentaries or anything. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um... <sighs> Do you think Vince would have been... I mean, it's Vince. He would have been hands-on with the new WCW, right? I don't know. That's the thing. That's, what, that's the question I brought up before with the XFL. He's going to be so busy with XFL, he probably would not be as hands-on with WCW. That's probably giving it a better chance of succeeding. He probably does let it have more of its own staff. Well, here's the other thing. He used a lot of the creative team on the XFL, too. Yeah. You know, the Bruce Pritchard podcast XFL episode goes into that in detail. So yeah. that's a fair point from you there. That might have actually worked out for the better. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have had all this shit going on, so he probably would bring in different people to run WCW. Although he would have to have somebody of his choosing be the head, you know, to be the, the final say, if, if it wasn't going to be him, because he wouldn't have time. And what's the story, you know, about how early 2001 WF has all this great stuff going on, because he's not there. Mm -hmm. 
he's not as hands on. And remember, we did that 2001 show on the main show late recently, where it talked about how things he gets start taking more of a cre- you know, hold a creative again in the summer of 2001, and yeah. that's when all this shit starts happening. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Vince did not fold Georgia Championship Wrestling. He kept the company he, alive on paper for like two years. The show was called Georgia Championship Wrestling. That too. When they went to the studio, that's what it was called. Yeah, it was called World Championship Wrestling for the first however many months, and then for that last month, it was Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Now, as far as also the the split with Vince and Ted... Um, at least what WWF told Electronic Media at the time was that it was a dispute over the advertising time and the promotional stuff where Turner thought that the there was a certain amount of promotional time that was allotted to the promoter. Turner's under the impression that that just means, you know, local promos and the like. Vince is under the impression he can just resell that ad time himself as part of his network. And that that's what the dispute was over and that there were financial issues coming from that. And at the time, no one from TBS commented. So even then, that's also just, that's the WWF version contemporaneously too. You know, none of the other stuff we ever hear about from them later. Um, And then as far as coming back to 2000... It's not like we're learning that much new here. <laughs> I mean, it's little. It's like it's kind of clarifying bits and pieces from earlier, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that caught my eye here. Um, it, it, there's clearly something up, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on because it seems like Mandalay might be out. I think there's a division among Mandalay. I think there's a group in Mandalay that Bischoff is part of that's, you know, wanting to get this deal done. And there are other forces in Mandalay that are like, oh, I don't know if we need to do this. That's kind of the way it feels, yeah. And so you got the Bischoff side of things going in the media talking their shit. And then you got the other side talking their shit. And then the company saying, no, we haven't been talking to them about a sale at all. Well, that's the thing. There's probably more of a united front in the company. Yeah. You know, the wrestling, that's the non-wrestling people. You know what I'm saying? The wrestling right. people like Bischoff and Jason Hervey are going out there blabbing to everybody. You know, talking about this, this is a done deal, blah, 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 blah. But the business side of the company is like, no, we'll, we'll work. We can work with you, but we're not going to own it. You know, because we had that here. It said that if, if even if WF bought it, they would. There's a possibility that they would still work with WWF and helping promote the product, which I, I don't buy, and Dave doesn't seem to buy. And but that seems that that's coming from the non-Bischoff side of things uh, to me. Yeah, well, we're about to get a lot more on the WWF side, so why don't we just move on now to that to the all right week of uh, October sixteenth to hear this entire show. Support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.